I've been called the crazy one She's better but her head's still a little bit undone Can't impress me by the places that you've been But you can impress me by the things you say Welcome to another episode of Waste Books. Uh, monthly or so, we have not been that good at that. We're going to try to be, though. It's a monthly book club podcast brought to you by Waste Division, Art Collective, and Online Magazine. Uh, if you like what you hear on this podcast, check out our website, waste-division.org, for lots of other uh, mediums, medias. Um, we have uh, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, photography, other visual art like painting, uh, some video work that our friend Mary Kate is doing, and lots of other stuff. And it might be akin to um, what you find here. You can also check out our Patreon. If you just search Waste Division on Patreon, we're doing a monthly art distro, uh, sort of like a blue apron for art uh, with independent artists. We just buy uh, products or items from the artists and then we distribute them in a package and you can get more or less stuff depending on how much you um, subscribe for so for like two bucks you get a sticker per month or so uh, you could spend up to 20 and get posters uh, tapes cds vinyls um, just stuff that our friends are making that's kind of cool um this episode we talk about Babel 17 by Samuel R. Delaney, which is a sci-fi novel. Um, and... Ooh, it's a sci-fi novel about language. Yeah, as you could tell, I didn't read it. We're trying a new structure here. Uh, maybe let us know what you think of it. Um, also, if you have time, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps people find this podcast, show up higher in... Um, search results and that sort of thing um also it's christmas eve today so if you're listening to this in time um merry christmas i guess or hail satan or however you celebrate okay uh well let's get into it this is our discussion on Babel 17 waste 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 Back in the yeah. studio again, boys. Yeah, I know this feels good. There's a new, new sheriff in town, sort of with this one. I was talking to Cooper beforehand. Um, I was going on a date with right before this, so I didn't actually finish the book. Oh, um, great! Yeah, so and I know that's really <laughs> lame on one level. <laughs> uh, how, how far did you get? I got like eighty pages or so. 80 pages left or 80 pages in? <laughs> Wait, hold yes, on. Yes, is that Jordan laughing? Yes. What, what the fuck? That's you wrote 80 pages, Phil? Yes, 80? Yes. You fuck face? Well, I oh. see where pussy lies on your scale of values here relative <laughs> to the bros. Or penis. We don't discriminate on the podcast. Yeah, you don't know who I was going on a date with. <laughs> I'm All on. right, sure. Uh, sure. It could be a potted <laughs> cactus. <laughs> sure. Um, but no, this this actually might benefit us in the long run. Yeah, it's Cooper, like can you help me out Phil here? Phil and I talked about. Yeah, I just, so I just finished we, it today. 
Good man. That's perfect. I think the benefit that we can take advantage of of having five hosts is if sometimes one of us doesn't finish the book, we have four other people here to help them along. And it actually might make it more listenable because that person might be able to act as a surrogate for the audience. Fair, Fair enough. You know, keeping us on track and being able to have somebody who may need to ask questions or have us backtrack if they're not getting it because they've never read the book. Sure. Um, we should nominate someone to not finish the book every time. Well, I was thinking that as long as that all of us aren't making a habit of it, it would be fine, right? Right. We don't want, yeah, we don't want to ever rely yeah. on this as a crutch. So it might either mean if this is something we want to do, again, it might, we can like rotate who doesn't read the book. Uh, depending on each of our schedules, because obviously we, we've it's we've seen that sometimes it's hard for us to finish the book. We well, fucking live busy, and lives. we're trying to get on a little bit more uh, frequent recording schedule. So if we're maybe more flexible about things in this way, where like one person can be like, "Yo, guys, shit's kind of crazy. I'm just gonna sit in on this one and like uh, see what I can contribute without like obviously disrupting things that you don't know what you're talking about, right? Like. You have no place arguing about plot in this conversation if you haven't read the book. <laughs> sure. But if you have something that strikes you at, uh, as like a thematic point, then you could speak to that or ask questions about stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of serious about wanting to do this every few weeks or whatever. So if this will help us, I thought that we could all kind of benefit from it at one point or another. We should just pre-schedule like three or four books. Yeah, we'll do that and maybe put out That's the roles a good idea. of like who's yeah. going to be leading conversations and who's going to be kind of laying back or whatever. Yeah, we can have like a Google Docs where we can um, record the books and then uh, decide who won't be able to make it. Uh, as, or who won't be able to read the book we mm-hmm. should always at, with this it might be able to have it so that we all can make it for the recording mm-hmm. though scheduling a good time to record is always going to be difficult but at the very least somebody can not have the added weight of also finishing a book right Man, and it Bill. might again it might enhance the podcast you know having somebody represent the audience might make it a little bit easier for us to be on track it's like yeah. where my mind went when we were talking about this totally Bill, you were just at the tip of the iceberg on this book. Right. I I am going to continually reference the fact that you did not finish the book. That's fine. Yep, 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 yep. That that's your burden to bear. No, I think we should also take take the opportunity that maybe it's a risk because we we're just gonna roast the shit out of that person. Uh, Right. Right. It will always be a pain in the ass. Or or like if that if that person asks really stupid questions, it can be like, well, if you fucking did your job and read the book, (laughs) you know, you might have a better idea than when asked such stupid questions. Right. I think that'll make for a good entertainment value all around. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> and we, this podcast definitely needs that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> well, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. <laughs> all right, should we start then? Sure. Yeah. Oh, wait. While I'm thinking of it, I'm sorry. Can you guys make sure that your headphones aren't so loud that your microphone is picking up our other voices? That has happened in the past. It kind of sucks for let, editing. Let me check the levels of said waves. Yeah, it would be something like your headphones, Dan, where you don't really have like a like mine no. are earbuds where they plug into my ear and the sound gets like suctioned in there. Um, I've upgraded to new headphones. Oh. Uh, yeah, they came with the iPhone 8. Um, 
Oh, they wow. are earbuds. I, I oh. believe they were oh. are sufficient to these purposes mm -hmm. for these purposes. I love wow. Yes. New sponsor, iPhone. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> Thanks, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, no, no. Uh, it's just Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're just From sponsored dead. by Steve Jobs Estate. Yep. <coughs> Editor, take note. <laughs> Mark that. Yeah. Mark it. Got it. Uh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into it. We don't have that much time. Looks like Jordan's bored. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Hey. <laughs> Are you bored? I'm not bored. I just, I have to finish something after this and teach it. It's like early in the morning. Totally. Yeah. So. Okay. Don't worry about right. it. <clears throat> just truck along as comfortably. Great. Did you read it, Jordan? I did. It was uh, six months, six weeks ago. <laughs> right. I'm in the same boat, man. I'm in the exact, I, I was See, like trying to tally is... how long ago I read it. And I was like, wow, it feels like two and a half years ago that I read this <clears throat> book. This is yeah, our yeah, yeah. It might be two months. <laughs> I think we picked this book three months ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, oh, my that, God. Literally. That's true. Yeah, so we um, need to get a lot more of a schedule there. That's okay. It's been a busy <laughs> summer slash winter. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, well. Fall. <laughs> 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 All right. I'm Cooper Malin out here in Dixon, Montana. And this, right, is, this is Bill in Billings, Montana. Gotcha, Eric. This is Eric in Eugene, Oregon. Um, this, this is Jordan Finn in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, this is Dan in Bangkok. Oh, it's so good to be back with you guys. Hello. Yes, okay. likewise. I have seen no other human being since hell right now. Since <laughs> our last recording. Um, so, yeah, yes, uh, this book was my choice. Um, I don't remember how I found out about it. It could have been... Um, Phil, if you'll remember the aesthetics class we took in university, um, there was so many references to like different works of art. I don't know if it came from somewhere around there. Um, I also took an intercultural communications class where we uh, we took the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis as like basically one of the fundamental tenets of our course, like one of the things we just accepted as given. Huh. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, also, I really think I discovered it on just black holing Wikipedia yeah. frenzies, right? And um, I remember I, I, so I found the book, it was like, oh, it's related to Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, cool. Um, and then I Wikipedia, I clicked on the author link, Samuel R. Delaney, who is a, um, I want to use my words very carefully here, he is a overweight um, homosexual African American science fiction writer, uh, which I thought Nailed that it. is uh, that is a um, unique and interesting uh, voice to have in the science fiction canon at that time, uh, since most of the writers were white males. Um, and the stuff on his Wikipedia just kind of got better and better. Uh, so let's see what do I have. I've written here. So yeah, born in 1942, raised in Brooklyn. Um, wrote his first book at 20. He's been writing ever since. Um, in his later career, he's been writing nonfiction and literary criticism about sci-fi. Um, let's see here. He actually, he wrote two episodes of the Wonder Woman comics, which is strange, during a controversial moment in the character's history when she gives up being a superhero and becomes a secret agent, which I, I, I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. um, That's right, Dan. You don't have to protect yourself. Sure. Uh, well, so, and then he's got some weird sexual themes going on. So, um, 
Well, here, here, uh, this is exactly from the Wikipedia. So um, he wrote a bunch of books between 62 and 68, eight novels and a novella, culminating in Babel 17 and the Einstein Connection. Um, and then at some point it says on Wikipedia, it was at this point he began dealing with sexual themes to an extent rarely equaled in serious writing. Um... What else? Oh, he's got books called The Tides of Lust, a title he doesn't endorse. The Madman, Hog, and Phallos can all be considered pornography, a label which Delaney himself endorses. Um, hmm. Let's see. Oh, he... Um, so he has commented that he believes to omit the sexual practices he portrays in his writing would limit the dialogue children and adults can have about it themselves and that this lack of knowledge can kill people. Mm. Um... Yeah, it just seemed like a really interesting dude. Um, I know he, he had a wife at one point, hmm. um, but then he started living with a homeless man, like having an open relationship with a homeless man. I think he's been that way for a long time. So just all these kind of random things on Wikipedia, I was like, dude, this guy's got to be fucking interesting. Like, mm -hmm. Someone like this has to have like an interesting perspective. I totally. Guess. And he does. I mean, this, this book is... Um interesting to say the least i actually have written up just sort of a a small synopsis not quite it, i just tried to write something that might uh, entice the listeners cool. um so samuel r delaney's 1966 sci-fi classic babel 17 is an intergalactic adventure set in the far future of humankind in which all corners of the galaxy have been inhabited an intergalactic war has seen the development of a language, Babel 17, that the invaders, the faceless other in the war, use to sabotage key strategic sites and assassinate important members of the war effort. Rydra Wong, a cryptographer, linguist, poet, is assigned to the job of cracking the code. It is while attempting to decipher this mystery that Rydra and her crew discover that there is a traitor within their mists. It was nominated for the 1967 Hugo Award for Best Novel, and uh, it tied Flowers for Algernon for the no no Nebula Award of the same year. Babel 17 is a sci-fi look at language and what it means to the human mind. Boom! Dun, dun, Nailed dun. it. Very good. So that, I mean, have any of you guys, to go off a bit of a tangent, have you guys ever read Flowers for Algernon? You know, no. that book... That seems like something I read like 15 years ago or something. Yeah, we read it as part of the public school curriculum, I'm pretty sure. That's what like I thought. In those weird literature books, the like kind of hefty ones, like just full of little excerpts. I remember like they had pictures of the movie. And, yeah. Like little snippets of it. I remember the it's, pictures. Right. It's good. It's, it's interesting. Is it about I, somebody with ma madness or something? Do no. I remember well, it, that? It's, it's about somebody who has like limited mental capabilities, um, mm. like super low IQ, and these scientists, um, I believe they give him pills to make him smarter, and it's, so it's his diary yeah. that he writes going through this procedure. Algernon is uh, the mouse in the story that they tested the drugs on, right. and so the pills work, he becomes insanely brilliant, um, and then there's like a half-life to the pills, and so it's also the story of how the pills stop working, and he loses these... Uh, mental capacities hmm. uh, super good well worth the read i think it's a little inter i think it's really interesting actually that it tied um for the um uh hugo award or no sorry for the nebula award with this book because they both kind of deal with themes that i think were really hitting sci-fi hard in the 1960s 
language, um, this new burgeoning like science and what it means. Um, yeah, you you also have like stuff like civil rights going on and shit like that. Yeah, I definitely noticed this was like more like hard sci-fi, like talking about mathematics and like the mathematics of language even than like Dune was. Where they yeah. weren't like considered, they weren't worried or about stuff like how rockets and you know degrees and angles, you know, like all the stuff that Rydra always talks about. Yeah, I wonder because it, it it I think it appears more hard sci-fi than it really is. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Because it it feels like Delaney's using <clears throat> math as a as just a form, like, as a style of dialogue, like, like you said, like, Raidra is using these, or just, like, saying these equations out, I don't know if they would ever actually work, I mean, I'm sure, right. but uh, that is an interesting point, because this is a little, this is definitely harder of a sci-fi than our other sci-fi book, Dune, was, for sure. Yeah, and I remember us just, like, talking about the difference last time, and, yeah. uh, discussing how, yeah, like, I felt like Dune was much more intricate in the world building and that this was kind of trying to juggle a little bit of like world building, but trying to be kind of scientific on the surface to make it, you know, seem very, you know, make the characters seem like really believable in their like scientific prowess. Well, the characters are definitely a huge part of the story because I would argue that there almost is no world building in this. Right. We are just led to believe or, or just understand that almost every arm in the galactic known galactic space is inhabited by humans. You know, we've reached this level of civilization, but you know, we see very little of uh, very few worlds. There's a few worlds and stuff uh, that we get to see. Um, But it's actually, it's pretty specific to Rydra Wong and her crew. There's, Uh, um, I don't know what you guys thought. I thought there's a big emphasis on food, which is kind of strange. Like, he's always talking about, like, there's, like, mentioning different dishes and shit. Like, oh, care for some chicken, Captain? Or, like... <laughs> right. And, yeah, she's yeah. always talking to the, the, the young cook about, like, what was going to be for dinner. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, before... The... What, do you, what did you guys think of Rydra Wong as our uh, protagonist? Well, really quick, I want to enter some historical background information here. Um, I guess... Rydra was actually based off of his ex-wife, and all of the poetry, you know, like in the, the chapter heads, uh, they're all poet, you know, it's all assumed to be Rydra Wong's poetry. Samuel mm-hmm. Delaney didn't write any of that. That's his wife's poetry. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Interesting. Because it is like, that. that is a huge part of the book. I guess not huge. It is a part of it where uh, it is beautiful poetry that lends itself to the story a bit. Yeah, and... um. So, and really quick, so one thing about Rydra's life is that she was part of a triple, which we should certainly talk about later, which is a, um, in the future they have, it's a, it's a sexual union between three people, like a, you know, like a three person relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two people she was with, there was a guy named Phobo and a guy named Mules, like Arelnahide or something. Mm-hmm. And if you take the letters of Mules and Hyde or whatever, it's actually Samuel R. Delaney. What, what is that uh, anagram? And and the funniest thing is, is, there's a point in the book where she tells that to someone. She's like, "I was tripled with mules, Arelnhide, whatever the fuck." And he's like, "No shit, the guy who wrote Empire Star and yeah. Empire Star uh, is another I book by Samuel that. R. Delaney." I was gonna. Right, you know, it's funny, yeah, Dan right. is my version has Empire Star in it. 
Yeah, that's how Samuel Delaney wanted it to be published uh, as like a yeah. like both together. Like you'd have two books together. Is it in the same universe? I do not know that. Oh. I would like to find out. That would make that's very cuz Samuel R Delaney wrote Empire Star but in the universe of Babel 17 uh what do you say Mules Mules something whoever wrote that but then they're published together in the same book but they talk yeah. about it and like apparently like in the world the empire star written by mules is based on adventure an adventure they went on as yeah. a trip and on a ship in real in real life at this time he had a uh, with his wife they had another man i believe that so they he was doing a triple what he's talking about this tripling he was doing it in real life with his wife based I on Roger Wong I can't wait to get to a point in my writing that I'm able to have a book published, and then in the second book, I reference that book and have right? other characters talk about how amazing <laughs> my first book is. You know what's funny, <laughs> Dan, when you, you say that? Roger Wong at one point says, never do a triple with two men. Next time I'll do it with a woman. There's a piece of dialogue that she says in there. Right, the, the tripling's interesting. I just meant, too, in the context... And Dan, you touched on this a little bit, but this book was written in 1966. It is sci-fi, which historically, and especially at that point in time, was just kind of a an, an old white man's game. It was old white men writing for a predominantly young white male audience. And so here, and we talked about Samuel's um, own life a bit, but Raidra Wong is a Chinese or, or, or an Asian female an asian woman um who is like super intelligent super capable physically um uh and she's like an incredibly smart and capable character who is not who has the males around her do what she wants and is not just a like, the love or whatever you want to call that she falls in love with one of the characters in the book um, is sort of like a byproduct of her learning the language. So it's not like a huge integral part of the story, which I feel like you see a lot of the times in older sci-fi books where there happens to be a female protagonist. A lot of the story is driven by her relationship with another male in the story. Mm. Yeah, it's more like she was in love with the language, and that was the love story. You know, and I thought um, about... How it's kind of like when we read Dune, we said like Paul is kind of like he's like the man bred for the job, right? Like he's kind right. of like the perfect dude. It was like with Rigel, she seemed with her language and abilities and her, you know, status as a poet, like her her poetry is famous across the five galaxies that humans have colonized at this point. Um, and it's kind of like if you like looking at her past, right? Like her her father was a communications engineer, and her mother was a translator. Um, she said she had, she was like, she knew like seven earth languages by the time she was like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. So it's really did seem like she's like the one for the job. And she's only like 26 or something. Yeah. And she's already retired from the military. Yeah. And like, is like, everyone recognizes (laughs) her when they see her. They're like, Oh, Captain Wong. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, cause we're also led to believe in that very early on in the book that like you said, Dan, she is incredibly famous for her poetry and everybody this side of the war knows it and in fact she's so famous and so talented of a writer that even the invaders the the enemies mm-hmm. of this war also read and love her poetry. right because she always talks right. about being popular on both sides of the axis or whatever is that what, how they do uh, totally and and also a huge 
part of her character, and it's something we don't learn till later, is that she's telepathic. Right, and that's hinted at, because in, in the beginning, it's, it's like, um, the way it's described, it's like she's just reading muscle movements or something. That's how she, yeah, right, it's, it's her and I think the narrator trying to add logic to this before right. the big reveal, obviously, where she's trying to tell herself that she's obviously not telepathic, which is something that her uh, therapist has hinted at, um, but it, it could be a, another extension of her linguistic ability. I think it might be like Delaney's way of, of further enhancing our understanding of this character's ability to understand language. Um, until it's obviously reveals that she's telepathic, um, which right. just helps her as just being an, another um, badass character. And I, but I also feel like if we want to get into the plot before our character diagnoses, I just want to add that I also I felt like this tactic was a bit of a crutch um, in that she could get herself out of problems because she was telepathic. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. But if we want, we should probably go through and just start dissecting yeah. this book. Like, hey, hey, yeah. guy who who guy who didn't read this, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, good. Of what we said, do you agree with everything? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, the, it the all sounds really good. Book, the beginning of this book sounds off like a cla- it, it comes off in two genres for me. It comes off as like a hard boiled noir like a almost like a detective story you know our first perspective into the story is this uh hardened uh like battle hardened general who has to come into a, a swanky bar and approach the Ryder wong and and try to convince her to join the war efforts um and then uh it just kind of goes along the same vein as like a swashbuckling tale right off the bat uh in my in my mm. ideas you know it, he recruits her she talks to her therapist. We're introduced to that character, and then for the first half, or for the first part of the book, it's her like recruiting um, her, her crew, team, which is very fun. Because a big part of this book are the characters that Delaney creates in who needs to pilot a ship, and that's why it kept reminding me of like Treasure Island and like all those other yeah, um, totally classic pirate stories. Because totally. a lot of it is just about the crew, you know, and and how each of the crew is uh, an important. Uh, member of the ship and and what each of their uh, jobs entail is is and it's sci-fi so it's super fun and interesting and I think he uh, takes it in a really imaginative way that I don't think I've seen before. Yeah, um, and, and another thing, there's actually some class issues brought up, right? They're always talking about um, transport and customs. Ah, oh, right, 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 and like like the people in transport are like lower class. Those are the people on the spaceships, like shuttling embargo or shuttling cargo. And uh, the customs officers, I think they just, like, receive it. And they're, like, considered the higher class or, you know, more professional individuals. So, and there's a guy, Daniel Appleby, I believe, that follows Rydra along. Rydra right, he's, along. like, supposed to be, like, our, the reader's way into this world. <laughs> right, and he thinks it's all so strange. I just wanted to clarify, Dan, I think, I th- I'm glad you, thank you for helping me out. I don't know if it was just me, but for some reason I had a tough time um understanding transport and customs i even forgot about it um well he never really he never he never explains it it's all just kind of referenced like you damn you damn customs people 
<laughs> right, it's implied. So the transport people would be the lower class, because they're yeah. the ones who are doing the shipping. Yeah, and they're the ones that have all the cosmetic surgery. So th this, scene, this scene is really cool where, you're right, Coop, where the scene where she gathers the crew is really, really cool, because... She take yeah. She takes this customs officer around to this bar where they like have to get in naked. the red light district and shit. Yeah, right? it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's just confused the whole time, and he's kind of like freaked out and like, "What? These people have fins and shit. Like, what's <laughs> going on?" Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and then I mean, we can go even we can go even deeper into it. So yeah, like you said, I uh, they have to like get naked or remove some articles of clothing or something. I think it's. It's just uh, a whole like fish out of water thing, just making the reader. And what's that? Uh, what's that homie customs dude's name? Uh, Daniel Appleby. Yeah, because he comes back. He's like he's like a spunky, uh, like Johnny B. Good type, you know, just trying to uphold the rules and uh, and whatnot. Like he keeps saying like, "Ooh, I've I've only ever heard of this district. I've never actually been inside of it." Right. Um, so we have to we have to get the captain first. So the first thing Ryder has to do is enlist the captain. And I and, and to understand relationships, this Appleby character is a customs agent who has to sign off on a ship's crew. So they a captain like Wong in this instance has to get a customs agent to uh and I think it even says like use their psych sheets to evaluate the um, like a like. Is it there's there's psych indices? It says psych indices. That's right. So yeah. I'm sure it's just you know stats, the stats of a person. You and know. they bring that up a lot, though. They're always they're because I think that was one of the things that the customs officer brought up every time she tried to pick someone. He's like, "Well, where's their psych indices?" Ah, uh, right, right, right. It's like that. Like that's one of the most important things. That, whatever. So our, the first uh, crew member we need... Oh, well, we should probably describe to the mission. And I, I think I hinted on it in the beginning, but this this captain or this general of... The, apparently there's like been like a decades-long war between whoever we are, we in the yeah, story, good. and the invaders. Which sounds at times to be like an alien force, but it also sounds possibly like another faction of the human race i wasn't quite clear on that and maybe that was intentional maybe i'm just an idiot i don't know what did you guys think yeah i wasn't sure either i think the the side that she's on or whatever is the alliance it was called right and yes, then the, the other side were the invaders but they didn't really specifically state like which galactic of the five galactic empires or whatever they were from they were just like invaders generally from yeah, right. whatever well, politics we got, it was like super brief and just like very vague. Or at least I thought so. I don't know. Again, I could be dumb. Well, My parents and, say and that the thing all is, the time. I think in the war, the invaders have more leverage. Like, I think there's like there's like nine, nine races, I think, like nine alien races, including humans. And I think a majority are sided with the alliance or like the, the alliance might have. Um, no, sorry. The invaders. The invaders have like three or four with them the alliance have like two or three and then there's like two or three that are undecided right and this is only important that it sets the structure of our story um again like we don't get to see very much of the invaders or the alliance all we know coming into it is that the invaders have created a code or early on in the story it's it's all we understand of it is that it's a code called babel 17 that for some reason, appears before and after uh, attacks on Alliance um, key strategic points. Um, 
over the airways, Babel 17 comes. An attack on a, a military point of the Alliance is destroyed, and and so they that they recruit Rydra to break it. So that's how we get introduced. That's how we get started into the story. That's our starting point. That's all we know. Right, and she like she like comes out and says like one of the opening scenes that it's not a code, it's a language, and that kind of sets the intrigue. And we also get to see just how she works because she is kind of at times. Uh, an antisocial person and I think it's because of her reaction to what we come out to find out is her telepathy because there's also this point because this character the general whose name I forget comes back remember uh, he, he, he falls in love with her and she's able to see that and doesn't necessarily rebuff him but sort of gives him enough to I don't know feel good about himself it, it's like a very strange guys turn your phones off we're fucking recording an important podcast right now. Uh, oh, what is happening? Computer, sorry. What is happening right now? Cooper and Fulton. I'm remote. sorry, guys. That was my I'm computer. I'm going full I have Christian my... Bale on you guys. What the oh my fuck God. is going on right Jesus now? Right. Well, if people would stop texting me, I'm sorry I'm so fucking popular. God damn it. Turn your oh, do not my disturb off on too. your goddamn phone. Oh, Dan. Yep, see, Dan and I are the most popular tricks here. Too. Yeah, so is mine. It's my girlfriend saying, shut the fuck up. Hey, go to bed, please. Shut up. Mine's someone complaining <laughs> okay, at work. Sorry. Looks like. Not sure. Um, so we haven't heard from Jordan at all. Hey, bud. Hey, how you doing? What do you think about this uh, whole book thing? Or at least the beginning of it where we were at. Yeah. Uh, where we're at so far. Um, well, one of the things that struck me the most, and I, I probably wasn't as taken a um, I wasn't as, I hate to say it, probably the first time I wasn't radically impressed by a book that we've read uh, for this podcast, but I enjoyed it. Um, does somebody I have, guess it sorry Jordan, does somebody like, have music going on right now? In the background? Yeah, That's on me, let me go, uh, let me go do something about see, that real see. quick. Sorry, not, we're sorry. not all perfect. That's right. Should I keep yeah, going? Or? Go ahead, keep going. No, don't, don't go yet. Okay. I'll, I'll go. I'll well, be back. Wait, well, okay. No, we, all right, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> Phil, tell me, tell me, Phil. Yeah, tell us, guy who didn't read the book. Yeah, you, th I'm, you think <laughs> I'm directing this ship? This is God like a no. Captain Ahab. I kept thinking about Moby Dick with this book. Speaking of which, while Cooper's mm. interesting, just something about the uh, ship and getting the crew together reminded me of the first parts of Moby Dick. Sure. And just like kind of the uh, red light aspects, you know, with tattoos yeah. and like body modification. And a little language oh, yeah. clip, we do use the word ship in both contexts. Right. In space okay. and the sea. We just All talked right, about a uh... whole bunch of stuff, Cooper, but... We're done with the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you missed it. <laughs> Clear it up. Jordan, you were going to speak to the, the book up to this point. Well, anyway, yeah. Uh, but something I was I was enjoyed was there was a reference to this guy named Wilhelm Reich and near the beginning, and I looked into him, and he was like a Freudian guy from the early 20th century who talked about muscular armature, and basically how the body, the way the body moves is a representation of thinking. And I thought more in, about that throughout reading it. Um, like there's like a language in a body, how a body moves, and I think that plays a lot into maybe thinking about food and why food is a reoccurring motif like sustenance or something that keeps the body um maintained 
um, or just emphasizing, like, in a kind of way, like, the significance of the body uh, over language. Mm. Um, what was I going to say? So, uh, that was something, that was, like, kind of how I read the book, was the body, uh, how the body can speak and add it in ways that it can maybe be more universal. Um, but I don't know. It was. I wish it would have talked more. I I felt like it could have gone farther with the superior idea. Um, I agree. It's with a good you. book. Uh, yeah. I I just felt like there was no big reveal. There was a lot that he didn't just. He didn't really just flat out and say. There are some parts where he you know they talk about like the limits of language and how it influences perception, but. There was, I, I made a list of some words that he used. So let's talk about the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Does anyone want wanna... to... I just wanted to touch back, because, Jordan, I agree with you. I was, I'm was, i excited about the ideas of being able to talk about this, because it's like a super simple adventure story that I really do enjoy. But I had trouble oftentimes with how he wrote this. Um, I was not in, as engaged uh, with the story, and I don't... I think it was a really cool set of concepts that he brought us to the edge of and then was incapable or unwilling or just, for whatever reason, didn't take us over. I didn't feel like this truly explored a lot of the things that he did bring up in the story. Well, It he... was a good book, not a great book for me. I, I agree. Sure, I wasn't. I, I didn't enjoy it uh, as much as I thought. As well. I, I read it twice, and I did really. And I read a guide that I stole off the internet. And um, after a second reading, it was pretty. I, I enjoyed it, but um, there's just let's really quick on the Sapir Whorf hypothesis. That's just the idea. I mean, I don't think they ever really worked together or published anything together. But they were just two dudes working on. Um, oh, what would you call it? Linguistic uh relativity linguistic relativity right. right just the idea that the language and grammar that you speak influences the way that you perceive the world i mean there's a strong version that's pretty much thrown out as bullshit that says it it determines the way you see the world right. mm. that that would be the extreme thing is that your your thoughts are um can only extend as far as your language capabilities or or the language that you um, understand determines your thoughts. Right. Well, one part that I read, Dan, and I'm actually kind of sorry I didn't read this. I'm sure you were excited to talk about some language philosophy shit, Dan. Because, um, <laughs> like, yeah. one thing that they talked about early on was, um, I think Rydra's talking about uh, thought and ideas and language, and she emphasizes that... Uh, people think about like language as being separate from thought as like a vehicle for thought. But she emphasizes that language is thought. So like the right. forms that it right. take influence its essence and the structure of its mm -hmm. essence and like the truth of its essence or something. And mm -hmm. so even where I got to, she figured out um, on the ship how to, how to get them out of their little stasis when they were mm. first. I, we haven't got there yet, but um, the way she figured it out, right, was like talking about water and um, or their word for water or something. Yeah. So yeah, a big part of Babel seventeen is that by learning it or understanding it, you are given like enhanced physical and mental abilities. Mm -hmm. So you so that that was like the first uh, instance that were shown that oh. 
So she sort of taps into that water idea, and it's her first understanding of the Babel 17 language. And by understanding it, she's given, like, superhuman mental capabilities that she's able to then use to get her out of, like, their... Uh, I think they're like adrift or something, or yeah, because that was like the, I think the first, maybe the first or second instance of sabotage on the it ship. It was the first one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's a part um, of Babel Seventeen is by learning it, you are uh, given enhanced ability. And, well, we could talk about this more, but something that struck me just as like a, a potential for this sort of philosophical idea is that there could be a language that is. Um, so close to its object right because language is a symbol that we use as a stand-in for an object so when i say tree you guys can picture a tree and then we can take tell a story with that um but with babel 17 there's something even in how it was notated where there was like a zero and it looked like the thing that it was talking about was that like layer of layers of meaning is what she always talked no, about. No, it wasn't it wasn't like that quite because it was it was really direct. It was like when yeah. you see this thing and hear the explanation of the language around it and those structures, it makes a lot of sense. And it also branches out into other aspects of knowledge, right? Like into mathematics and physics, which she's able to right. use. So that yeah. seems to be part of the magic of this language and why she's so in love with it, is that it's like so organic and rich and like connected that you could just like easily go between aspects of meaning or something. There are there are parts of the book you didn't get to, unfortunately, but uh, toward the end, <laughs> I just had to say that uh, towards the end when she when she gets better at Babel seventeen at like learning it, understanding it, and thinking in it, thinking in it. Um, whenever she comes out of it, she like expresses how displeased she is with the efficiency of English. Because mm-hmm. like there, there's at one point even we can talk about later there's if you look at the text there's like two conversations happening at the same time one of them is like a public conversation in English and one of them's her thoughts in Babel mm-hmm. seventeen okay. and it's much quicker mm-hmm. like it's right she's she's frustrated by how slow everyone else is like thinking and it's talking. like on a like quantum a... level or something yeah. Yeah. which is really interesting because when when I was reading this it was given that Babel seventeen was this um pretty powerful tool mm-hmm. but by the end of the book and i think the takeaway of the book is that babel 17 at the end of the day was still just a weapon um mm, and right. so that was like a little jarring for me because as we learn by the end of the story babel 17 obviously was still uh, invented by the invaders and used as a weapon because by learning and speaking babel 17 you instantly are a traitor to the alliance. Right. Oh, the defi- right. the definition of alliance in Babel 17 is one who has invaded. So oh. we learn, or maybe we shouldn't jump there quite yet. Yeah, maybe we should backtrack to our plot real quick. Um, really quick. So before we go back to the plot, we, we certainly need to do that. Yeah. Um, some of the, I, I don't want to say this is directly related to Sapir Worf, but, um, there are some phrases that they'll, he just kind of throws around in the speech of the characters that they really do. Um, it kind of paints a picture that like they think about the world differently. So like the geo ordering, right? We say words like far East, new world, um, upper class, right? Things like that, that they... Illuminati. They, yeah, yeah, right, it shows, well, it shows like a, a set of values or at least a, a mm. cultural idea. Whereas here, they, they talk about Pan-Africa. I mean, considering the date, 
you know, mm. like you have stuff like Black Panthers going on in like mm -hmm. the 60s right. um, and oh, a lot of yeah, movement towards Pan-Africa. And he says that um, it, it subsumed Europe. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember back when Pan-Africa, like, subsumed Europe. Um, he says America-Asia. So, I mean, I was mm. thinking about this this morning. <laughs> I guess it's still the morning. But it was like, I don't know what that would be. It would, it would be like, what, America or North America, Russia, Australia? I, I, I don't know. Mm. I have no or idea. Is it, has um, it been long enough that plate tectonics have Ooh, that's a good point, too. Again? I'm not quite Probably sure. Probably not. That's Yeah, that's that, a long time. Of thousands of millions. That would be fascinating, but I think this is more geopolitical. Yeah, 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 same. Um, he uses but it's, the word, it's, it's fun. He uses the word suicide as a verb. He says, like, right. when she, she suicided. Oh, yeah. Which right. sounds, it just sounds clunky, but it's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> another thing that's interesting is the words for alive and dead are corporate and discorporate. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, for astronaut, they use stellar men. Hell yeah! And at one point, they use <laughs> right. They on me. Yeah, they use writer as a. They use right as a comparative adjective. Like she says, Ooh. like someone is writer than someone else. Oh yeah, which is kind of strange. Huh. Mm -hmm. That might just be like a yeah a, a way of showing a lower class of a character. Or yeah, and just how language has changed over time. Mm -hmm. right, and the, I, I feel like those examples you just gave, like a lot of like the Pan Africa and Ameri Asia thing, is a, a pretty classic sci-fi trope to show, like, oh, the Earth you think you know is different, and I'm going to combine geopolitical entities that you're familiar with and the new ones. And I think it's it's a fun trope because it does make you think, like, ooh, what would like Ameri Ameri Asia look like? But I think it also just shows like the we're not the Earth I'm talking about. It's different. You're not familiar with yeah. it at all. Right, 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 it's right. It's like an Etsy 4, right? Just to further disorient the reader in this new sci-fi future. You know, um, as your idle reader uh, here who doesn't read, a thought strikes me about Dan's uh, talking about how they use writer, like writer than him. This might mm -hmm. have been like a bit of insight on um, Delaney's part where he saw the relativity of truth coming even way back then, like with mass media coming online with like radios and TVs or whatever would have been. Mm -hmm. and, Cause now we have like this Trump era of post truth where like before this, it wouldn't have made sense for somebody to, to, to be like writer than somebody else. Like it's either you're right or you're not, but right. then right. Like, in the future, there's this relativity and kind of this, like, post-post-post-modern idea of truth or whatever. There are degrees of truth. Right. Which is which is interesting because he lived in a time in which, um, right, we do live in, like, a, that is interesting, like, a degree, there are degrees of truth. But he was alive at, like, the height of the USSR, the height of the People's Republic of China, um, and, like, lived through their beginning and so saw you know, through American media, uh, what it meant for, like, totalitarianism truth, you know, mm. propaganda truth. And he certainly himself saw that on the American side as well. Um, but but there was definitive where it's like, this is the truth we say, no degrees, whether it's a truth or lie. But now we do live in, like, um, there's, like, a, a, yeah, a diversity in truth for God knows what reason. <laughs> that's the kindest way. A diversity of truth. That sounds nice. <laughs> that's a very progressive way of putting it. I like that. Yeah, We're that's good. Very positive. Um, do you guys 
feel that there is like a higher like, an objective truth that they reference. Like part of me thinks that I was flipping through it right now and in line 17 and sorry, not line 17, uh, page 17 and 18. <laughs> Your book sorry, is teaching, ro- broken down in poetry, like Homerian yeah. style, right? <laughs> like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's in verse. Yes. It's a science fiction. A nerd. Epic. He's working on his thesis. Um, uh, oh, almost, but, uh, let's see, there's a part where she, uh, Wong, Writer Wong says, I listen to other people stumbling about with their half-thoughts and half-sentences and their clumsy feelings that they can't express and it hurts me. So I go home and burnish it and polish it and weld it to a rhythmic frame. Make the dull colors gleam. Mute the garish artificiality to pastel so it doesn't hurt anyone anymore. That's my poem. I know what they want to say and I say it for them. Mm. So I'm curious if there is, the same with this muscular armature, if there is like an objective language. And even Phil, you were talking about like a symbol representing mm-hmm. something in a pure form right. for what it means in the real world. Right. So I'm curious, is she, is, is Delaney talking about truth as there being like a higher truth that like we should all like be like in unison with? Um, mm-hmm. Or is it like degrees of truth? A linguistic truth? I read that more as Delaney so. trying to spell what a writer's job is. And I think I only picked it up because I think that it's pretty common in books uh, where writers try to have, if, if the protagonist happens to be a literary, like somebody who is um, a literary character, I think there's always going to be a passage in which they try to explain the higher power of writing, you know, almost like Plato's philosopher king. Uh, the writer's job is to go home and take the unwashed masses half-formed thoughts and mm-hmm. form them into golden nuggets that Make are them ultimate truth. Palpable. Yeah, I, I mean, it, that's really interesting to think of his, that might be how he thinks of, again, ref, like referencing Plato, this idea of like capital T thought or truth and lowercase Maybe. t truth that we have to channel. Babel 17 is approaching some kind of truth with its compact efficiency and using language. Again, I, it totally does, but at the same time, it's still, like, it still ends on it being a weapon. Right, it's, right. I think that's like the big and rug being pulled suck. out from under us, right? You know, it's like we are thinking that this is somehow some new um, beautiful way of humankind being able to come together, and then it's like, nope, still just a weapon. Uh, ouch. Nope. Psych. Damn. As the audience, that hurts. I have to say, <laughs> it's I. I'm having fun because I'm also I'm also reading Joseph um, Joseph Campbell's. Oh no! That, shit. Right? Same here. You're uh was it, he, he, here with a thousand yeah. faces? Yes. It's a fascinating read. Super interesting ideas. But and same with Delaney. They heavily lean on like Jung and Freud as their psychoanalysistic uh truths and stuff which coming from like a 2018 perspective and being like oh my god we we laugh in most of their in the faces of most of their ideas and concepts um what did you guys think i i think it's hilarious it's thousands of years in the future people have surgery to look like goats and and lions and stuff but they still have pub they still have public phones I thought that was so funny. Like they have to go, fu- they have to find a phone. That is true. That is crazy. And they're yeah. like flying on fucking flying saucer discs, and they're like, "I gotta find a phone." 
Because <laughs> I, I think what I was getting at there was with bringing up the Hero of a Thousand Faces in, in sort of like the outdated, our, our outdated way of thinking about um, psychology is I think that needs to be said about Sapir Wharf because none of it's been proven. Uh, for a long time, actually, it was like discounted. And right. now there is sort of like been for a couple decades now a resurgence in this idea of like we can look at this we don't need to take it as as uh as hardcore as a lot of the theorists out there would would have liked us to think of right superior war theory it just is kind of a fun idea and we do see it sometimes you know well, our I, language in is determines our thoughts right. in very fun interesting ways but well, it might not be as hardcore as it was once Right. The the strong version, I think, is kind of silly, right? It would essentially mean that, like, nothing can really be translated. Or if it is, like, you would be, Mm. you'd be almost a different person, like, thinking in a completely different way. Or I think, like, there was a lot of thought experiments, you know, at at one point, I remember reading that, uh, based on Sapir Whorf theory, uh, like, Native Americans would have not been able to see christopher columbus's ships because right. they had no concept of ships so it would sure. have been, they would have been invisible to them and i'm like that that that's complete bullshit it would just it would just it would hang together under different concepts right right, right. like so every that's... everything can be translated but here's a good example that i like to think of is um so and it has to do with prince right purple rain um was a famous movie and wonderful album but uh the movie was famous all over the world and there's an African... It was much better than the album. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, there's an African country. I don't know which one it is. They don't have a word for purple. So so when when they translated the title of Purple Rain, um, it was it was a really long and clunky title that was like... It was like rain that is red with some flecks of blue inside. This <laughs> is kind of That's silly. Great. That's wonderful. Um, um, even just today, so like I'm living in Thailand, there was um, a student said something, said two-syllable word. And she was like, do you understand this in Thai? And I was like, no, can you explain it? And like none of the students could explain it. They're like, it's so difficult. And then um, I asked me lady, Pat, I was like, hey, um, what's going on? Like, what does this word mean? And she was like, uh, oh, it's the feeling when if you, like, we would say shot yourself in the foot. Uh-huh. Mm. Like you, you initially had the opportunity to do something, and by your own actions, you uh-huh. made it so that you can't possibly partake in that opportunity, and now you feel regret. Right. But that's, that's like the whole definition for that one word. Yeah, that's two syllables that they do. Right. And like in ours, we have a saying: "Shot yourself in we the foot." But, but right. then translating that in a concept, it's like really clunky, really hard. And that's it, and I think that is at the the base of this book that's what he's getting at like there there really is no like he's not a hardcore superior wharf theorist the only instance we see that is in the idea that within babel 17 there is no concept of i there's no right. concept of individualism which we see that reflected in one of the characters of the book who's been like tortured beyond mental capability and then essentially retaught this new language and restructured as a human being and so he has no concept of the word I. That's sort of like the only hardcore definitive we have in this new world. Right. When it comes to working with Babel 17, which is really interesting. Right. It rang so much and I, of, of Ayn Rand's The Anthem. If any oh. of you guys have ever read yeah. that a long That's time a ago. Book, man. I like that book. It was a great book. I know Ayn Rand like 
to be fair, she deserves it. Yep. She she gets some slack for for writing some pretty out there ideas, but the anthem was fun, and this definitely this concept of Babel Seventeen reminded me so mm. much of that because it kind of rang as like a like a fear mongering tactic of like look what happens if a language gets rid of the concept of an individual. Mm, nice. Right. Um. Yeah, let's get back to the plot, shall we? Yeah, a yeah. Bit. We have to go all the way back to <laughs> holy Damn, shit. Yeah. So we're not. We haven't even got the ship captain yet. Yeah. Like the, the 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 driver of our spaceship. Right. So, so Appleby is in the red light district with Wong. We're getting a ship captain. They're in a bar. They remove all their clothes. There's a huge cage match going on. The cage being a huge suspended orb within the high-ceilinged bar in which two combatants have to go at it. Uh, one of them is a dragon. One of them is a griffin-like character. It's like a lion with eagle wings, I think is how I pictured it. Who would end up... That's who ended up... Brass. Would be our Brass yeah, would be brass. our captain. Again, and, and we say this, but they're humans who have undergone such cosmetic surgery which is the concept in this book, cosmetic surgery, combination of cosmetic and surgery, uh, that they now look and appear and have, like, the musculature of what would be a dragon or a griffin. Like yeah, yeah. He was, like, they mentioned cougar-like features with him and, like... Yeah, but he's also, like, claw. nine feet tall, right? Yeah. He has, like, yeah, claws and, and manes. He, he walks on all fours most of the time. Right. So a lot of this was pretty pretty out there stuff where I had like a hard time conceptualizing I think what he was trying to get at which again could have been my take of it but I, I was curious what you guys said because cosmetic surgery is a is a not like a not like a determining fact like not like a, a huge part of this book in that it drives the plot but it is right. something that he uses in this book I think uh, the way I thought of it was like tattoos. Like in the past, tattoos were seen as like a sailor, a, a sailor thing or a low class oh, thing. Oh, right. Right. Or it's and, like you know, the evolution are... of like implants. Like, you know how people do implants in their faces and heads and stuff. Sure. Nowadays, yeah. Again, right, it's right. Like it's like 1966, so. Totally. Right. Kind because... of a curve there, Samuel. All right. Again, it's soft science fiction in the fact that he never explains really how this stuff works. We're just like given characters like Brass who have been changed so dramatically that they're walking on all fours. They have claws. They look like a lion. They have manes and wings. <laughs> and anatomically, it's... biologically, they can still function somehow. Right. right which is never described. <laughs> no. Which is fun. Like, it's fun. You just like picture it and, and you don't need really to know how it works, I guess. Did you notice with Brass that he doesn't speak peas? That yeah, all can. of the peas in his language are, are in his speech are like uh, apostrophes. Right. I know, and I think that was because of some cosmetic... I think like, right. they, like they removed his front teeth to put huge fangs in. I right, think there was right. like something in his surgery that made yeah. it so he couldn't like... Probably right. a list now. Um, yeah. So wait, we get to the plot though. Yeah, so so we get brass like they they recruit brass, they recruit Callie and Ron, which were part of a triple, um, right. and they the girl their... died, and they're they're kind right. of in mourning. Um, and mm -hmm. then it gets strange. So they they eventually 
They go to the discorporate sector, which is, I guess, a place in town where the souls of dead people hang out. It's um, like it's a not bank, really... but what's deposited are, like, the, yeah, I guess, souls but, yeah, of people who've died. Because they have to go to, the, they go to the morgue. Right? No, no, that's the, the morgue. So they're on their way to the morgue where they go, they go get that girl and reanimate her, and she becomes part mm-hmm. of the new triple. But they have to go through the discorporate sector where it's basically just a bunch of ghosts flying around, I guess. And, and that's where it, they get their nose, ears, well, and what's eyes. What's funny is, yeah, 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 they get the nose, ear, and eye there. But they also, so Daniel Appleby, they let him. They're at a public phone, I think, and they're like, "Just wait here," and uh, he gets hustled by a dead whore, a, a succubus. Yeah, right. Which is great. Um, and the dude, the language, the language in that section is really weird because, like, you know, she she kind of I don't know if she drugs him, but she like kind of takes him over and um. The way his thinking, his thinking, he ends sentences in like with prepositions, in right. really really weird ways. And let me, I find it in mine. It's thirty nine. Um, so let's see. Let me find it. Oh shit. Um, A lot of dead air left. We should vamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's a sentence. Here's a sentence. He says, um, she was laughing like as though, as if, and then period. Right, it was like his brain so fogged he was unable to complete his, uh, his, his, his sentences and words and stuff and and thoughts. Um, That part was really hard for me to get through. I don't know Yeah, that was strange. It was Um, just... Well, there was, again, like, I don't, like, the... The concept was, like, was so he, weird that, and like he just so quickly went into it. I was just like, "Wait, they're reanimating people, like <laughs> right to I, be I a part of their crew." So they're like ghost right. crew members. It feels like this book was fun, but now that we're talking about it, I almost don't care. <laughs> Is that terrible <laughs> to say? No, that's great. No, like it's. There is so much, like, this is a fun book. There are so many fun and cool and interesting elements. How they get their crew is fun. It's fine, Them Cooper. You can break is... up with this book if you want. You don't have to be I nice mean... to it. <laughs> it. It almost feels like a chore now to have to go through. It's like, it is like trying to talk about, like, an adventure story where you're like, well, it was fun. Like, there's some big themes that we can talk about, but if you want, go and read it. It'll tickle you know it'll tickle your fancy but like it's not like there's much going on i I felt like the one of the most interesting parts of the the way the crew members work were the the nose the ears and the eyes how every time they were out navigating like one literally just worried about the smells one literally just worried about what they were hearing and one literally just worried about what they were seeing and, and again, they were like dead souls of the ship. Right, and it's right. funny. What's funny is they complain about physical things. So there's a part later in the book where, like, Ryder asked that your eye and nose. She's like, "How's it down there?" And they're like, "You need to clean this place out. It's fucking dusty down here." <laughs> right, and it's right. like, like, like hypersensitive to that. Right, it's like, why would a ghost care about? Yeah, care right. about that. And then just to speak more on the ship, like they have like a crew of kids who yeah. like run the ship, but they're all like nineteen and twenty. So they have someone, idea. someone named the slug, just some big fat fuck that takes care of them. Yeah, right. he's like their medical guy. Yeah, right. And she specifically um, wanted young kids too, so she could like mold them and. Well, well, that's like what? What are those guys called? There's like a name the for platoon. that crew of the, the, the platoons. Kids, the platoon. It, it, 
it sounds like they're like always supposed to be kids, which again in this universe, kids right. are like nineteen and twenty. But the way he writes them is like they act like they're they're children, 10, 11, 12. right? Yeah, because she's always she's always asking about them as the kids. Like, get and the kids out of like here. Kids. Well, they need to be provided for on a basic level, right? Like, make sure they wash up and stuff. Right. right. And the kids are always, like, picking their nose and they have snot and stuff. Yeah. But again, 19 <laughs> right. and 20. And then maybe how Delaney right. views his peers at the time. Because he wrote this when he was, like, 23. <laughs> right. Well, and is only 26. Right. Right, right, right So that's right. kind of interesting. Right, right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Again, it's fun. We could. I. I don't know. I want to speed ahead because I don't know if we yeah. can go like bit by bit by this book. Again, I. Can, you guys can tell me to calm down, but, but like we're. I don't know. Whereas like Dune was fun to break down. This one was more like let's just like go by the big huge points. Because... Sure. So let's do that, and then we can bounce back yeah, over the fine. interesting parts. I mean, um, I think we're doing it pretty well. And then um, they shoot off, and like there's I think like a sabotage or two, right? She has to think well, in a going, different language. They're so I think she before they're, they even take off, I believe she figures out that Babel 17 is not a code. It is a language. She's able to understand it enough to pinpoint where they should go next, which is to just a planet that has an ambassador that has It's a like the on. yeah, it's the war yards they call it, I think. Like it's like yes. it's like the the center of where they, you know, the, the of like the fence or offense, I guess, really. Where she meets like the Baron and Baroness. Right. So that's like where like the second act sort of begins. Is yeah. we got our crew. The adventure begins, and they have to go to the war yards because that's where another suspected attack by the invaders are is going to be. Right. And then can we break that down a little bit because she's interested in going there to monitor the radioactivity around the site. Right. Yes, so that because she take before a direct... an attack, Babel Seventeenth go like is like shot all over the radios. Right. Of the alliance. Right. And so she, in talking to the general in the bar, realizes that there's way more context that she's missing, and that mm-hmm. all she's been given is a transcript on a page that doesn't even show the voices as they change. Right. It's just like mm-hmm. right. a bunch of text all in a row, and she's like, "Wait, wait, wait! You guys have all this stuff and." I'm trying to figure this out. It's just like a puzzle. You know, somebody's trying to put together a puzzle and they don't have all the pieces or whatever. And right. like, what the fuck? So, uh, yeah. Shit. Anybody? No, you're good. Like, yeah. and then, and then essentially it, she's able to figure out everything she needs to know, which is again. Right. So she needs to go see, like, and just hear the voices, like, as they're trying to organize this sabotage, basically. Right. Like, in exactly. real time. Right. Well, she, they they invite them all to dinner at that house, and she leaves the ears, eyes, and nose like on the ship to monitor shit while they're at this like manor. And something interesting is so throughout the book, she keeps in contact with the ear, nose, and eye. But they say they mention that, or Samuel Delaney mentions that, discorporate souls can't talk with corporate souls without the corporate souls forgetting everything right away. Mm-hmm. So what they have to do is they both know Basque. Like the language Basque, right? So, Which is super interesting, right? So, so she'll just she'll just start thinking in Basque, and she's like, "Oh, that's the ear, nose, and eye." Yeah, right, that's like their right. signal because they for... yeah they translate it into Basque so they can remember it and something. Well, yeah, so she'll have a thought oh, yeah. in Basque and then have to remember that. Oh, that's what the discorporate's telling me. Right. Uh, which is really fun. I I did like that part. Basque is like a super uh, it's interesting. That, it's that yeah. weird Spanish French mix. It's old. 
It's like the oldest Indo-European language. It's thought right. to be the oldest Indo-European language on the planet. It's spoken th- by people in the Basque region in right. Spain, but it actually has nothing to do with Castilian or anything. No, they're they're, they're still trying to figure out. It's it's like because they all live in like root. they're all isolated in the mountains in that region, like between. It's pretty France down there. I've been there, and, and yeah. eating their food and drank their booze. It was good. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of food and booze, um, they yeah. So they 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 go to that place right the the war yeah. yards. And yeah, some slimy. Like Baron, yeah, uh, takes them into their manor to show her off. And yeah, before they have dinner, the Baron takes her to show off like a bunch of spies that he like. They're 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 like genetically well, engineered spies. First, a bunch spies. of weapons. A bunch of weapons. Well, first, first of all, it's like a it's it's a, again a, a classic adventure tale where it's like I'm gonna show you my weapons, and they get progressively get worse and worse until he's like, ooh, I shouldn't show you what's in this room. Uh-huh. It's like right. gonna. The chemical it's my weapons. nude fucking genetically engineered son who has been written to be a spy for us. Right. Um, right. Which ends up being the killer of him. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, that they, they have dinner together. If that's and not the confusing food... to every listener. Right. All um, ten of them. Well, it was like, it was like some uh, <laughs> super, uh, super advanced, like, genetic type robot thing that could change its looks upon, like... I know, thought it was a person. Snap of a finger. Yeah, that's that's what it gets kind of clunky because I don't think it was a robot. No, I think he it was like describe it as like a gen, like his child that was so genetically engineered that it had right. The, it was like genetically abilities, programmed like to have like the ability to like change its appearance and like uh, talk about subjects at certain length. And it had like they said it had one subject that it could talk at uh, like academic levels with for an hour and a half and like so they like repro- they mm. pre-programmed yeah it's not like a ro- it's like a f- you know a fleshy robot it's a human being but it's i mean it's like a human being who's had every sort of like free will removed from it and and jordan going back to what your idea of like facial structures like who hut the restaurant <laughs> that's what happens to me when i eat there i just lose all free will and shit my pants for 16 hours <laughs> It's worth it though. Jordan, it's... are you still with us? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. The people, hot... well, there's no lulls, so I don't want to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> but what I think, what going back to that, I think what I picked up on was the spy had the capability, had so much control over its musculature that it could change its the muscles in its face, therefore change its its facial features. Yeah. Which. Because I am a conspiracy nut is something I've read that the CIA does try and train their spies to do, or mm. our spies. I guess yeah, our we're spies. All now. There are guys. Yeah, right. no, but it's all. I mean, because again, it's <laughs> it's like super fun historically uh, to place him in writing this in context with like the Cold War and everything, mm-hmm. where like spies was a huge part and it was a huge part of literature and like popular culture. And this idea that, like, a human was so trained that they could change how they looked by just, like, controlling their cheek or Mm -hmm. lip or eyebrow muscles. It was a neat idea that I think he took to, like, the extreme by saying, what if we, you know, CRISPR-style engineered our children to the point of being a super assassin, which is essentially what this weapon is. And, yep, classic Freudian trope, uh... They're eating dinner, and the spy kills the motherfucker. 
He Basically. kills the creepy yeah. Baron, whose name I cannot remember. Baron Dervorko, or Vort yeah, Durko. Durvorko. Right, Durvorko. exactly. Durvorko. So it, it kills him. That was the sabotage. Um, I think maybe even some of the war yards blew up. But at the very least, Baron Dervorko, who is, you know, uh, watching over the these uh, war, the war yards of the Alliance, is assassinated. Um it is done by this genetically engineered uh, son assassin of his. And as we learn a little bit later, it was because of, again, Babel 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rydra then- gets onto the ship with her crew, tries to escape. Uh-oh. Sabotage. Their ship takes off with no one at There's- the wheel or something. Yeah. Well, the ship takes off on her commands that she says she didn't give, you know, a whole mm-hmm. series of... Um, Shit happens. They get all types of fucked up and right. fly into outer space. Can, and yeah, and I, can we ex- I think it's implied that right. They just they just shoot off toward the. I mean, in space, you're gonna go toward the, the strongest the mass. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The heaviest mass. And so, which is just a nova, is what they said. Yeah. And so they're just kind of flying around, suspended, and um, they get they get subsumed or like like what they get picked up right by a yeah, giant by a giant ship. ship. Um, what was it called? Uh, the Jebel Tarek, Jebel's yeah, Mountain, Tarek's and mountain. and it's basically so it's in the no they're in the no man's land in like the uh, war basically between it's in like an unclaimed area where both invader ships and alliance ships uh, like fight sometimes and Jebel is basically this dude running a giant ship that he plays both sides like the alliance kind of let him go because he. He kills a lot of the invader ships, but also he'll let the invaders like take over the alliance ships and then kill the invaders so he can get both, like resources from both, both of them. Mm-hmm. He's a pirate. Um, he's a space pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah a that's right. Space pirate. He like lets the he lets the invaders take out the alliance and then he takes out the invaders and takes both things. Right. Yeah. All the booty. And this is this is where the he booty. meets. Or she, Rydra, meets the butcher? Yeah. What? All right, Eric, I want to talk to Eric about this because the image I had in my head is, who's the big is dude? Is Eric? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I pictured like a, just like Eric. a nude from the waist down, just buff as shit, well, Eric. He's kind of, yeah, he, he reminds me <laughs> so of... Um... me? <laughs> so you recorded the podcast. <laughs> I'm confused, are we? Um, just... Eric, who's the big guy in Guardians of the Galaxy? The big dumb oh, guy. Oh, Drax the Destroyer? Yeah, I actually pictured reminded... him, too. Yeah, because <laughs> there, well, there are times he disagrees with Jebel, and all he'll do is smack his fist into his hand. Totally. Yeah. And, and like, he's like, kind of oh. like, In Guardians, Drax is, like, super bad with language and, like, being super literal and, like... Yes. Uh, Violent. Like, understanding, like, uh, like, intonations and, like, sarcasm Dude, I totally picture Drax also as the butcher in this book. Yeah. Which makes like me it. wonder, I wonder, because, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was like an old 80s comic, and I wonder if the writers of that, whose names oh. escape me, took inspiration yeah. from this book. Yeah. It's possible. Oh, hey, you guys, real quick. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was going to say, we had, um, oh, we had... Oh, shit. I, unplugged. I just came unplugged. But we had three viewers on our stuff. Now it's down to two. Let's just say hello to the one person that's watching this. Hello. Hi. Hi. 
Thanks. What's their name? What's, What's their handle? Shout out to the one viewer. What up? DM me. I got pics. Um. Just <laughs> We're going to scare them away. <laughs> we did have three watching. So I wanted to say if there's anybody watching and they wanted to comment, we'll fucking give a shout out. If you want, if you have a question, question you can ask about Dan's haircut or Jordan's beard. Ask a ask a question about. You can ask about <laughs> anything you. Want. Or why Phil couldn't finish a book on time that we had ten months to read. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be fun. We could do a little hang here potentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But all night. The 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 butcher was fun as a character because again he is who Rydra. Uh, is able to further understand Bebel 17 with because he is he is if you've ever if if you're the one person who hasn't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Drax like you said is a character who has limited language capabilities and that is sort of like the butcher the mm -hmm. butcher has like a almost uh f using the Freudian metaphor like not even like Freudian thoughts again he is kind of like the epitome of id just like reacting on emotion and how we're introduced to him reacting on emotion. He, like you say, if he doesn't understand something, he just pounds his fist into his palm. He's very violent, very brutal. She scares uh, him right off the bat or he scares her right off the bat because of an interaction where he pounds his fist. And yeah. She's like taken aback. He, he like exudes violence and just like thoughtless animalistic brutality. And it's, and but she we, finds out pretty quick that he's actually the one in control of everything. Like he's got mm -hmm. Jebel under his thumb, and it, it's initially presented as Jebel's like the you know like the leader of the ship, um, the yeah. one in one in command, the smartest guy in town, and he's kind of at the whims of this violent um, thing. Butcher, or what we see it as, and then we learn that it's only it's because what he truly speaks and understand is Babel seventeen, right. Right, so so he's superhuman smart and superhuman capable, but he's able to present himself only in this like very broken. And yeah, no one knows about his past. They they know that he was in a like a there's a planet where they have like high security. It's like a high security prison that he broke out of. And totally, he, so he has planet. a mark. Yeah, he has a mark on his arm, but that's really a planet prison. Yeah, I yeah. think so. <laughs> no, I think it's prison planet. Prison planet. Well, okay. <laughs> planet, comma, prison, question mark? Coming June 2019. What does our one listener think? Well, it's apparently my brother. Oh, yes. hey, Jack. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I told... He texted me, though. He said, hey, I'm your one viewer. And I was like, hey, motherfucker... Comment on the video so it looks like we have a fucking following. Yeah. So I'm, but he's going to have the same last name. We only well, need Jack yeah. anyways. That's I mean, fine. listen, we take what we can get around here, Coop. You know? That, yeah. that is true. I don't mean yeah. to disparage our one viewer. We'll get a, we'll get a bunch of hits from uh, you know, somewhere say weird Say something, eventually. Jack. Smash that like button. He'll subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> For more. If we quality. get 10,000 likes, we'll do something crazy. Oh, Dan. I also wanted to yes, tell sir. you, Dan. Um, I'm coughing too. I've been sick and I fucking smoke too much or whatever too. Hell um, yeah, dude. He oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a mute button. You oh. like that? Yes, yeah, certainly there is. There oh, is Cooper. indeed. Hold on. Let's wait for Cooper. Uh, oh, god damn it. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I'm good. That was good. <laughs> Editor, that was edit good. that out. No, it's too, we're mark that. It's too late. <laughs> um, mark that. Uh, but there's a mute button on this Google Hangouts feed. Do you see it, Dan? Do you have that on your little operator? Uh, I reckon I do. It's got a microphone icon with a slash through it. And if you click on that, mm. it'll mute, mute it for when you cough or whatever. Good oh. job, Dan. Good job. Oh. Do you see it? Oh, I thought I thought it did something completely different. <laughs> I, I almost don't want to know what you thought it did. <laughs> Good. Delete your hard drive, boys. Let's get out of here. Um. So wait, where were we? Damn it! I have to uh, go. Sorry, I had to mute myself. I have... I, 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 Why don't you guys go back to the plot or something? Smart sure, sure. Back. So, so, go so. All right, great. Um, oh, so, I love Phil has the luxury to go pee during this podcast because he didn't read it and he's just right. Like, the funny exactly. thing is that I probably I'm the one that most needs this plot uh, summary, but I also <laughs> am the one that most has to go pee. So. <laughs> Sure. I gotta go piss pretty bad. You guys talk about something thematic or philosophical if you want as filler. That would be good too. You can um, vamp for this part. You can make fun of me the whole time while I'm gone. That might be kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Jack would love that. He's gonna tune in for that. I'm going. I'm going. I, right. I know this is like terrible to say about a book club podcast, but again, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I don't care what happened in this book. I, I just yeah. was very underwhelmed by this book. Is that is that wrong? Am I no. at fault here? I think I think I was very underwhelmed by the I think it was clunky. <clears throat> I thought it was like way too quick in pacing in some parts. Where it's it a like, short book, right? It is it's a like short book. Pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Short, but it's pretty short. But I, I got through it really fast. Like I could I it took me only like four days to read it. And it took me like two, three days too. I once yeah. I got down to it. Again, this was about two and a half years ago when I finished it. But I found myself, I found myself like <laughs> being confused <laughs> half of the time. Like in a lot of those scenes, there just stuff would happen so quick. I'd be like, "Wait, what? So he just yeah, died?" The, the or pacing, like the pacing will be like at the end of one chapter, they're like, "We need to get to the war yards," and then like the next chapter starts out, and they're like, "Oh, now we're here at the war yards." So yeah, they were like all of a sudden really like quick. on flying saucer discs, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Which is good. Like, I remember some Cormac McCarthy books where that same thing happened. Totally, but it's made up for, and I don't recognize it as much. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. You guys are right. I mean, it was like a, it read like a serialized dime store novel. Right. Um, um, yeah. It's I, written like it's written like and as a swashbuckling. You, you know what it reminds me of? No. Yeah. In a, in, I took a novella class uh, in college, and uh, we did Melville's like some of his early stuff. And it was he like was, a normal so, novel class, but you just like went to junior college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. Eric, Eric, was that with Brady? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Brady Harrison. I had, I took that same class. Did you do the? It was a uh, Bartleby the Scribner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I can't remember the other one. Yeah, there was sorry. another one. We had a, it was like a book collection that had like. But that's a couple... interesting. Like a whole class on novellas. Yeah, it was awesome. But like, so when we were talking about Melville, uh, he used to write these like fun adventure sailing stories, like of the of his era that were actually really popular and like way more popular than like Moby Dick or any of his other stuff at the time and that's what right. he became like popular for and that's what this kind of reminded me of some like crazy like 
get on a ship, get a crew, and go, like, sailing through the oceans, you know, the seven seas, but, you know, the, the seven spaces, the seven cosmos. Okay. No, like, they did read like that. Yeah, um, and that's that's how I kind of felt about it. And I just thought it was... But, but at the same time, he was trying to build this, like, or hint at this very intricate, like, galactic empiric system and like crazy like geopolitical things like we're talking about and i just felt like the pacing was so quick that it got me flustered that that there wasn't more detail in some of that stuff yeah i think it's something that i would do where i would think of some super brilliant idea that i think is super clever and references things that are like super cool and then try to write something around it and then i'll show my girlfriend it and she'll just ask me to politely go back to work like at sushi hana washing dishes (laughs) but this like it just i don't know maybe i'm being too harsh but it was like just let's take a bunch of really cool ideas and then Mm -hmm. like write an adventure story around it and it was entertaining it yeah was fun to read but i just don't know how much more i can like look into it because again once we crack the whole like superior wharf idea of it it's kind of like oh we did it it's about how which language the, controls our or like writes our thoughts, right. which was such a big draw for all of us. So that was something we expected so much from. Totally, yeah. right. I feel like we right. were all really psyched about that part of it when we were talking about it months mm-hmm. ago. Which it is cool, but I think we have like tapped it. I don't know how much more I can be like. Um, yeah, he there did is it. a cool. Like, so, well, there, there, we, we are, and we're getting there really soon. Um, the, right. the, the, I gotta go pee though. All right, all right. Um, all right, well, let's plot this shit out really quick. Okay. Um, Thanks, I'm so, back, so we could do some important right. structuring here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> great. Um, so <laughs> they, they wake up, she wakes up on that ship um, in a net, and she thinks in Babel 17, and it basically gives her the ability to, like, get out of it. And so she, she frees herself, frees the crew. They meet Jebel and the Butcher, and pretty much right away, they get um, there's an attack. Like that, they get to watch the invaders attack some alliance ships, and then they send in their own ships to kill the invaders. And the language they use is really strange. So I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm um, gonna find it. I have it. I have it dog-eared here. Um, so Jebel is giving or someone is giving out instructions to these ships, and they say um, here. From the speaker came Tarek's voice. Hear this. The strategy is asylum. Asylum. Repeat a third time. Asylum. Inmates gather to face Caesar. Psychotics ready at the K-word gate. Neurotics gather before the R-word gate. Criminally insane prepare for discharge at the T-word gate. All right. Drop your straitjackets. Which, like, I have no fucking idea what's going on there. It it, it is probably just technical. It sounds like they're using these words as technical jargon, Uh like, for strategy. Um, There's some other ones, yeah. The hunter and the hunted have engaged... Um, well, not that. Uh, um, here, I'm gonna find, there's more. Oh, neurotics proceed with delusions of grandeur. Napoleon Bonaparte take the lead. Jesus Christ bring up the rear. Um, see, yeah, there, there is a few more. Oh, prepare to, and then right before they attack, they say, um, prepare to penetrate hostile defense mechanisms. All right. Ad, <laughs> administer, administer medication. <laughs> Yeah, um, they yeah, totally, there was a lot of, it seems like a contractions of the English language to, the, the the idea of, like, in the future, we're compacting language to mean more per, I don't know. Yeah, I'm more not with sure. Less. less is more, right? Oh, oh shit. That, you got a comment. 
We got a nice. Who is it? Kaylee Adams says, "Looking good, boys." Oh, Sweden boys with a B O I S. Yeah, where's my Gucci hat? It's actually Yeah, you should put that on. But that is, that's actually Jack's girlfriend, lady. Well, next time if she could use B O I S. Well, actually, it's Jack. Never mind. It's Jack under her account. So. Oh, well, that's even cooler. Well, hi, Jack. Hello. We love you. We love you. Um, we love you. Okay. So we got to the end. Well, so. <laughs> right. Look, oh, Gucci no. hat. Dan's um, got yes, it. Yes, yes, we did. How did you know? Um, <laughs> guys, I have to say, guys, can I just say something? I can only talk for three more minutes. I have. I have to better okay. stuff to do. Yeah, you give us your give closing your final thoughts. <laughs> no, thanks final for gracing thoughts. us with your presence, Jordan. Jordan. Is that a, a hint of sarcasm? Mm, no. God. Don't listen to him. You didn't fucking but read you, the book. We do need to... You need to call <laughs> me, or I need to call you, though. I, I miss you. Let's, let's save that for post. I love you. No, I, I'm just... I'm you, slumped because of thinking about this book. J-Bone, you should... Uh, it's just... <laughs> final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, can you give us your whole brain before you go, Jordan? Please, we—it's always gold. Okay, that's—I'm not sure how to. It's true. Trans translate that. True. <laughs> you got brain. three minutes. Um, okay, cool. Oh, I might gonna use all of it, but because this book's not good enough. But oh, um, <laughs> shot fired. Oh, shit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right, do it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it, no, okay, it's a good. Okay, the book is good. There's, I'm surprised it won the Nebula Award. I mean, does that just mean the science fiction was... Okay, maybe it was just very inventive. Maybe it was more... It was going into more philosophical territory that most books at that time didn't. This was, mm-hmm. what, 66? Yeah, 66. Yeah. 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 Um, I I don't know. I think uh, it just never really felt solid to me. It never felt grounded. It felt kind of like I could put my fingers through it. Like it was ephemeral. Um, like... Mm. Like a discorporate or something. Um, oh! Look at that. that. Bring it back. Wow. That one. We're live, folks. Let me remind you. He set that one up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Using key words from the book. Wow. Not edited. It's it's okay. I mean, editor edit that, please. Yeah. Put it. Plug it back in. It, I don't know. I of all the books that we've read in the bus, this book club, it's the one I've been least impressed with. I'm glad I read it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't i don't know it just and the and the end of it i know you guys are going to talk about it so i'll just i'm not going to tell talk well, about whatever. it whatever go ahead go for it, it. Go for it. yeah well it just it i felt what they could have done was i was never like scared i was never like oh no what's going to happen it was right. just like the bad the really bad thing had already happened and they just couldn't realize that it was happening the whole time mm-hmm. which is kind of scary i suppose that she was using the language and it was infecting her um, but it never felt like she went to the other side or there was never like a big risk. It was just more like a thrill. It was like, oh, are we going to like shoot this? Are we going to get, is our spaceship going to go into this portal in time? And I, yeah, it just never really hit me. Um, it was okay. Did you like the philosophical yeah. concepts that offered at least or not as much? Not well, I felt like I, I just felt like I had to dig yeah. for it. Like the muscular armature thing was like, oh, a reference of someone. Let me just like research the shit out of this and see if it does something. It did a little bit, but I don't know. And the poetry, the poetry also didn't, wasn't amazing, but yeah, the poetry but, did nothing for me. No. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. 
Uh, it just seems like mediocre poetry. Did you, no offense to the hit, before you do life. leave too, Jordan, did you, it's your turn next to pick for books. Oh, damn. Yeah, so, um, think about it. Oh, dude. So, I, I, my, I'm not going to pick this book, but I don't know if you guys know, but I, I helped someone move today and they gave this to me, but this um, Foucault's pe- uh, Pendulum oh, yeah. book, which is just, oh, w- Wikipedia, this book, it's just like, really, it would be really mean for me to do that to you guys. <laughs> it's just so fucking dense. <laughs> But I'll look. I'll, t- I'll tell you guys. I'm not really sure yet. Yeah. I have to finish classes, and in uh, two weeks, I'll, oh. I'll be freed up. Oh, dear. But, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. But yeah, well, I'll, I'll as have the audience, I will say that that is not appealing to me. <laughs> What's that? As the just audience, the, Phil. Five- the density. I don't, I don't oh, like... Oh, the 500-page Yeah, I don't like dense shit, man. I I look at memes most of the time, as the audience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you want to read a book about the Kabbalah? Mm. Oh, well, that looks... I like, I like pictures. Pictures? It's got pictures. Okay, <laughs> that's me. I'm done. Jordan! Thank you, for, thank you for picking this book, though. Yeah. Let us know what your pick is, anyhow. Yep. I will. I'll, I'll text the crew. And I can join that group text, but we can talk about it. You can? Did you, get a, did you get a space phone? You got off of... Uh, <laughs> no, no. A space phone? Oh. You got a space phone, B? A Babel 17 phone? Oh! A Babel 17 phone? No. Oh! Wow. About it's harder than any right, On that note. Very <laughs> nice. Okay, Jordan. Okay. Right, Love you. Well, it was fun night, guys. All right. Uh, we'll see you soon. Bye, Noodles. wasters, or whatever the stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fuck you, too, man. All right, he's gone. Now we can I'm talk a proud a shit about him. Yeah, now that the grown-ups are all together here. Yeah. He, it was no, a sleepy now. time, guys. Um, he's a busy man. He's yeah. finishing up his master's or some shit. He's an actual teacher. I don't even have my bachelor's. Yeah, forget it, man. Don't even... <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, so, alright, back to plot. Back in. Yeah, yeah. alright. So, so, there's the space battle where they yell out, Jesus Christ, take the wheel, and all that shit. <laughs> After that... Um, so there actually, there's an invader. So I think trick, you wanted to know if these were like humanoid or not. I think they are humanoid because there's like one of the, they, I remember there's, they get one of the invaders and they fight with them and it's a pregnant woman. And they say that like the invaders, they hire pregnant women to be the space captains because their reflexes are better. Right, they're heightened. Their senses yeah, are heightened. Yeah, their sentences are, they're, yeah, their yeah. sentences are heightened. Because they're more yeah. protective or, you know, um, some shit. But then, so, she, Rydra can't sleep, I think, and she finds that um, the butcher was trying to save the baby. And she's like, why? And he's just, he can't express himself. So he's just like, it died. It shouldn't have died. And, like, she kind of, I think they end up talking, and she, she figures out that, like, oh, he speaks a different language, and he thought that if he could save the baby, he would have someone to talk to. Mm. Because he because he feels alone, because he's thinking in a way, in a language that no one else can. And eventually, it's kind of, that, it's kind of obvious that it's going to be Babel 17, right? Right. Like, right. She's and like, that's... what kind of language could he speak? And it's like, well, it's probably the one that's mentioned all throughout the book. <laughs> well, the title of the book is uh, English. Right. And it's the same thing with with um I don't know what you guys the the, the plot reveal that Rydra is the one that's sabotaging it. I right. I thought toward the end it's kind of like well no shit. It's like she's like who could it be? I trust everyone on the crew. Who could it be? It's also it's also no shit but it's also low stakes. 
when it was finally revealed, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that that was happening. Right? He tried to jumble so much in at the end that Mm -hmm. you almost kind of forget about the whole purpose. Well, even throughout, even from the beginning of the sabotage, he, like, throws it in. Like, Ryder will be thinking to herself, she's like, I must find out what Babel 17 is. Right. Oh, and also, who's sabotaging my ship? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. That, that is a thing. Oh, too. yeah. That happened. Um, they were worried they do, about that at one point. They do have um, the, the really cool moment. So, like, her and the butcher talking. This is the part when she she tries to teach him the meaning of I and you. And it, it kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of works. Not really. But there's a ship next to them um, from a different alien race called the Ceribians. And so this is, I think, this passage, it was where, like, you... He's really talking about like Sapir Wharf stuff, because um, even describing the ship, like it, apparently it just looks like nonsense compared to what humans would build. Like the, he describes it as like three poached eggs flying across the sky, or something, or right. like it's like a bunch of which made me hungry. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but um, so she talks about she's talking to the butcher about word for eye, and he's like, "Do they have a word for eye?" And like, I think I have this dog here, where she she's like. Um, He's like, yeah, he's like, do they have a word for I? And she's like, well, yeah, under a certain centigrade. So it's like right. they have three different words for their identity based on what temperature their body's at because they're, she describes their life cycle is like they can only reproduce under a certain, between certain, a range of temperatures. Mm-hmm. So their identity of themselves is going to change different, or like how they talk about themselves is going to change depending on the temperature. Um... There was some really interesting stuff here. Let me find it. Okay, here. So she says, Butcher says, do they have a word? Do they have this word, I? And she says, as a matter of fact, they have three forms of it. I below a temperature of 6 degrees centigrade, I between 6 and 93 degrees centigrade, and I above 93. And the Butcher looked confused. It has to do with their reproductive process, she explained. When the temperature is below 6 degrees, they're sterile. They can only conceive when the temperature is between 6 and 93, but to actually give birth, they need to be above 93. The Ceribian ship moved like floppy feathers across the screen. Um, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, oh, she asked if they have a home for... Dwe- they have no word for home, house, home, or dwelling. Because um, she... I remember, she talks about how that humans had to communicate with these race of people. And right. it was really difficult because they would reuse the words like home. We need to defend our families and our home. And they'd be like, what the fuck is home? Um... And their language is apparently really... Okay, for house, you have to end up describing an enclosure that creates a temperature discrepancy with the outside environment of so many degrees capable of keeping comfortable a creature with a uniform body temperature of 98.6, the same enclosure being able to lower the temperature during the months of the warm season and rain it during the rain during the cold, raise it during the cold season, providing a location where organic sustenance can be refrigerated in order to be preserved or warmed well above the boiling point of water to pamper the taste mechanism of the indigenous inhabitants who, and so on and so forth. So that's translating one word, home. And then mm-hmm. um, so they talk about uh, describing a, a heat plant, like some kind of uh, like plant. And he says, one Serbian can slither through that plant and go describe it to another Serbian who never saw it before so he can build an exact duplicate even to the color of the walls are painted. And uh, right. they use nine words to like describe a whole plant but then they have no word for home and it's like described in a giant paragraph it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. i liked it yeah 
It's like it's like it's a metaphor for this book. There's a well, lot of words to describe this little eggs. dinky plot. Well, I mean, but I do think it's it's an interesting attempt at trying to depict what like a completely other type of life would be. Right, you can't explain it totally. too much. Or yeah, right, it could right, be. right. The the conceptual differences between language or languages and cultures and trying right to bridge that gap. Yeah, or just like to depict what something so radically different would be. You guys, really quick. Yeah. In the future, we won't do this because it'll be obnoxious, and it already is. But we have four watching now, so that means we have Jack and his girlfriend. All right. And what? Two, two other strangers. Fantastic. One other. I mean, I, I am also one of those, so we have one other stranger. Okay. Okay, so, you. Hey, hey, Mr. Stranger, if Hello. you want to say hi, please do. Leave us a comment. Tell us to fuck ourselves. That's perfect. <laughs> tell, tell us how we should fuck ourselves. Yeah, and in what ways? I'm sorry, I interrupted again. I'm the audience. I'm over here texting and butt I, plug. Um, it's mostly yeah. <laughs> Let me butt see. Plug. Where sorry. were we? Sorry. All right. Um. I so, so we're we're kind of coming to the end here, right? Um. She realizes that the butcher speaks Babel seventeen, and they enter. It was kind of weird. They enter a telepathic union. Where they can both understand mm-hmm. each other's thoughts, and this is I kind of thought it was an interesting ode to literature, right? Is like with literature and like philosophy. I was talking to a friend about this um, while I was on vacation. You can't really. It's almost like Plato's cave shit, where like if you see something beautiful, you can't really communicate it to someone. That this is why we can talk because we've all read books and we appreciate the kind of beauty that comes with like reading mm-hmm. a really good book. But like right. someone who doesn't, who's not, a, who doesn't see, who's not used to seeing that kind of beauty, won't understand what you're talking about. And right. there's a part where they talk about how well read Rydra is, and the the butcher finally like he has access to like her perspective, right? They 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 t- have a telepathic union where they they completely understand each other, and she, he's like he can't handle it, like all the the reading that she's done. He's like, wow, like there's you see the world in so many different ways that it like it causes him pain. Mm. Um, thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, not sure how that worked. Yeah, their consciousnesses are kind of like fused, and that's when she, they realized that the butcher was actually the son of, um, what's his nuts, Baron der Vorko. He's like the oh, primary right. child. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so he was actually he raised. Um, Niles, his name's Niles. Uh, they, he raised the Baron raised Niles Dervorko to be a what like a stronger than all the other spies, even though there right. came ones later that were stronger. But um, he and he kept all his spies. They can all communicate with each other. And he sent he sent Niles to the invaders, hoping he would just go fuck shit up. But what happened was the invaders captured him, um, tortured him beyond all. Like they, they took away his like primary language, I guess somehow, like language he thinks right. in. They implanted Babel seventeen and sent him to the Alliance. And so the last six years, all these sabotage attempts have been related to him. He's just been traveling around the galaxy with a network of spies that he eventually controlled through Babel seventeen. And has that that's like the reason there's been these sabotage attempts. Right, and it's because and that's why they pick up the the radio frequencies or whatever right right before it happens because it's them like telepathically yeah communicating in this language yeah yeah and then so toward the end um they get back to earth and 
the Rydra and the Butcher won't talk. Like they're they're just they're stuck in that union. They won't talk to anyone else, and everyone's really worried. Um, and so they get the therapist in the who's in the beginning of the book. They get him to Maki. come, Maki. Yeah, they get mm-hmm. him to get Rydra and the Butcher out of it. And what I get what they does is he says the consciousness of their brain is limited to a certain the con- their their conscious mind is limited to a certain part of the brain. And they need to feed the brain paradoxes, which will somehow force, it will be painful for them to think in such ways, and it will force consciousness into other areas of the brain so that they can kind of like reclaim their former self or something. Right. Not quite sure. But that, I mean, essentially they succeed, right? Like the butcher, uh, they, they, they feed him paradoxes and the butcher's face goes apeshit. And then eventually it's like, turn it off, we're all right. And uh, that's, yeah, that's basically the big reveal. The Butcher kind of has, it's actually kind right. of a tragic moment because he realizes who he is. And the, I, mm. I, 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 I thought it was tragic because he says, like, my name is Niles Durverko and I've killed my father. Like, that's the first thing he realizes is that, like, he's basically a pretty bad dude. Right. Or he's done bad things. He's right. bad dude. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Commandeered to do bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the very end was very anticlimactic, I thought. Uh, yeah. With, uh, where she was like, I guess I'll write a poem or a novel. I can get my, I can basically talk myself out of anything. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Um, there so was you just thing- fucking found out that you're sabotaging shit, and you're like, well, whatever, I'll get out of it. <laughs> there was something I didn't understand was when um, she talks about a horrific incident she had with a bird. Um, and I didn't. That, so that was her discovery. Yeah. Of telepathy. And I didn't realize that till I read it the second time because it's like the what Maki, this therapist, took care of her while she was a child, and he taught right. a bird to say like, "Good morning, Rydra. I'm happy to see you. It's a wonderful day." And she right. and he gives it a worm whenever it says that. And so yeah, her first telepathic experience is the bird tells her hello. It's a nice day, but she sees like. In her mind's eye, she sees the worm. She is with. She's in the mind of this bird, right? And understands, uh, and and what understands the feelings this bird has, and and how Delaney created this uh, scenario is that the worm is about like half the length of this little parakeet or whatever that can say this phrase, and so every time it's shown the worm, though it is seen as a reward the bird feels terrified that it then has to eat something that is like half its size mm-hmm. um is the ex- is what's created in this book and so rydra has her first telepathic experience when she comes in and yeah witnesses she herself feels the fear of having to eat a worm that is like half her own size mm-hmm. and it scares her and that's that it, that's that's how she becomes telepathic um, though she doesn't understand that until, like you said, like the end of this book. Right. Um, what did you guys think of, here's something, I'm, I'm going to give Eric shit because he was raised without the wisdom of the Lord. Um, <laughs> but, do, For what do you guys, what do you guys think of the title? Why do you think it was called Babel 17? I uh, think. Because of the, a babbling brook. But, but because well, because of Babel, like the Tower of Babel, right? So Babel mm. is another word for speech, right? Like you just said, Eric, like babbling brook, like Babel. We could be a term for totally. speech, but it's also yeah, the Tower of Babel and the confusion of tongues. 
Mm. Right? Mm. Like, humanity was yep. united and tried to reach. They agreed to build a city and a tower tall enough to reach heaven. God observed yep. this and confounds their speech so they can no longer understand each other and scatters them across the world. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that story. That's great. Yeah, yep. That is uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Actually, which is our next book? That we'll be <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> study up the whole Bible. Actually, the whole Bible. <clears throat> Old Testament. That actually might be fun. I don't want to be the guy that says that, but I think that would be. Fun. I think it'd be fun. <laughs> that, 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 that would be the guy who says it. But reading the Bible for a book club might be fun, guys. I mean, it might save our souls. So uh, actually, it might be fun. Yeah. There's some pretty fucked up shit. That's in there, right? pretty big. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Lord is our savior. We'll do a twelve part series. On the oh Bible. Jesus! <laughs> a twelve part series. Um, yeah. Again, the more oh, the more we talk about it, the more the ending, like it doesn't become clear in my mind because it does kind of just like come out of nowhere and it comes at you through a series of like seems like half-baked ideas yeah. yeah i don't know i mean but also no because like they are fully formed it does make sense like i didn't read the book totally confounded no you know? no I, I didn't leave it super confused i had i understood uh everything up to that point it just seemed quick like right. I think that was like the best word i can explain it where it did seem like oh what a weird series of coincidences that she's like saved by this pirate who happens to have this man named the butcher oh that was on purpose speak- i think the butcher saved the butcher made uh, later that he says the ah, the butcher made Tarek. yeah because the, the butcher controls Tarek. so like, the- take them in Oh. So maybe maybe and he could he could recognize the Babel seventeen telepathically or something or or right. yeah or like through transmissions or some some shit right. yeah yeah okay. that's why he saved that's why they decided to save Rydra and her crew I'm pretty I, sure I think I really liked the conceptual ideas of the book a lot mm-hmm. about language but I thought that the action sequences to me were clunky and too fast and just like I got I would get just confused like with the physical actions they were doing sometimes just because it right. would go so fast. Well, and, and he so never describes felt flat for me. Yeah, he never describes how I mean, it's kind of like uh, Dune, but it's like in the sense that he just like tells you like, oh, like the Thopter world through the air, but like and doesn't really describe anything. But it's almost like more difficult because he'll he'll kind of mention he'll kind of like hint at how it works, but then not really say right. anything. So be totally. like, it's more disorienting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is a that is a fantastic way to describe it. It is hundred percent disorienting. Like he like I was saying early in this podcast, like he would get super like sciencey about with like degree angles and like right, right, uh, right. trigonometry circles and geometry. yeah, and and so yeah. that would like pull me into like oh okay he's gonna get really into this big conceptual idea, or I don't know I. I just got, and then he would like pull you out and kind of go back to action real quick, and like so it just was mm-hmm. kind of like inconsistent for me. I wonder if it has something to do with us having read and dissected Dune so much, because Dune, like the more I think about it, like like you said, he never describes how a thopter works or really even how it looks. Um, but that doesn't take away from the story. But I felt it like I was able to visualize those so much better. Like Right. It, yeah. I think it's because it was simple. You know what I mean? But like I felt like, and going back to a character that in the beginning of this podcast we described 
completely as opposed to other characters, which is fine with me. But Brass, this supposed Griffith or Griffin-like character, there were so many instances where she was interacting with Brass and Brass is interacting with everybody else in a way that I couldn't fully understand what the space was that he was occupying. Right. How big is he? Right. Like, like what does he even look like? Like, he has, like, a paw, but he also has a hand. And, like, a big claw. I could be... Like, I feel like I could have read this wrong, but I also feel like there was... I'm, I'm remembering being taken out at moments because I was unable to grasp what was happening in the physical space right. that the author had created. Yeah, that's... And that, that can be tough. Like, it's like... Oh, I don't quite understand what the fuck's happening, so it's hard for me to engage. Totally, I just felt like yeah. there was such a big world that he, this story took place in that the the little attention I, I he ended up taking to some of the physical things just threw me off. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fun though, because like you know, and and what let me know that it was fun, excuse me, was how this book ended. The way the book ended let me know that, oh, this is, like, one of our more fun books we've ever read. Totally. This it's like, a simple... They were like, oh, we solved it. Now we get to go do another adventure. Right. And also, the reappearance of Appleby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. We that's should what, discuss that. Yeah. That... That's what solidified it for me. I was like, I can't wait to discuss this. Because I think... I, I even, when I was reading, I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of tough. Because, like, this isn't too deep. Again, we all picked up on the Superior Wharf theory it wasn't like it was like a mystery that needed to be cracked but we are like oh i get it a little bit of research into what this theory is see how he uses it period and then we get to experience the adventure and then i fully understood that when we saw appleby return and the whole i think it's the the ending of the book in which appleby the young uh do-gooder customs agent returns to the story um is going down the same red light district, the bad zone, the transport zone, and he goes into um, a cosmetic surgery office. And essentially, it's like what like a tattoo parlor would be. Right. And he walks in, and he picks out his cosmetic surgery. He said he's been thinking about it for a while now, and he's finally <laughs> ready to get it. And he gets a rose, right? Or no, he gets a, there is someone that has a rose. I think it's Ron. Ron has the Ron, rose. He, no, I got confused a, too. I, I really did because he gets a plant or like a flower. Yeah, but I think he gets a dragon, like a little mechanical oh, dragon. Yeah, you're right. He gets a little dragon no, it's, surgically that's the thing is, implanted into a shoulder. It's difficult to keep, like, because I I took a. It took me a long time to read it the first time I read it in short little bursts, and that was really difficult because yeah. I would I would forget the characters and forget who had what for cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. So it's totally. like Ca- right. Callie, Callie just has lights all over his body. I think Ron yeah, has like a rose. Implanted. Um, and then and then yeah, the the Daniel Appleby gets a dragon on his shoulder. He gets a dragon on his shoulder, and he feels like himself for the first time. Yeah, I think is like the imply, like the idea that he experienced. He had a short moment with the weirdos that happened to be our main characters that we fell in love with. They reflected on him so much that he finally got the nerve to go and get this right. cosmetic surgery done, and now he feels better, and that's where the story ends. Right? Yeah, it's like it's like he, 
Yeah, he feels really innocent in the beginning, right? Like, he's like, oh, yes, what the yeah. heck? This bar, these customs, what do you mean you have a sexual yes. relationship with two other people? <laughs> but then, yeah, exactly. by, by the end, that's I think he takes Maki to the bar. It's his idea. He's like, now he thinks this shit's yeah, really right. cool. He's like, hey. They... Maki, the therapist of Rydra. Right. Yes. Yeah, so. It's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it... we're coming up on two hours. Cool. Shit. Which is probably a pretty good cutoff for us in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked a lot about this book. I think we yeah, gave it a good I think servicing. We did it, too. it was a fun book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess do we want to do some final thoughts on it? Sure. Or... Yeah. Can I can I can I start just since yeah. the Yeah, yeah. Yes. Speak your piece. The least to say. Yeah. Um Well, I'm fucking lost about the plot. I I lost that a little bit ago. But I know. Um if you read the book, that helps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that should be the name of our podcast, listeners. not these well, books. But um I think that the conversation is not um lost on me just cuz there's stuff happening with themes and um I don't know. It sounds like a fun book. It I'm strict I'm struck that like this book was more philosophically interesting or like conceptually interesting than it was executed, right? Like it was yeah. I mean, I didn't fucking read it, but it was still pretty short and like it seems like not a lot happened, but there's like some cool um sci-fi work insofar as it like expands upon shit that's happening at the time it's being written and then projects it outward and and like like his anticipation of polyamorous stuff is pretty interesting right and that was happening in the 60s right. anyway with like free love movements and stuff like that yeah People questioning um kind of basic tenets of modern american culture but still to like put that up and now that's like hip in the fucking silicon valley or wherever and his stuff about body modification is also hip. Yeah. Like, um, that's something that struck me. I watched a series. I think I've maybe talked about it on this before, but Altered Carbon on Netflix. I, I liked mm. it pretty well. Um, but in that, like, the characters who were actually um, aristocratic a lot of times, or even normal people in this world, had face tattoos. So that mm. was something that the people, the writers of that show, had kind of projected into the future and kind of makes sense to me where like right now right like even though tattoos are being more accepted on a general level face or neck or hand <laughs> tattoos are still stigmatized but there's they, you see them more and more right well and SoundCloud then you look at rappers you look at rappers and not even just soundcloud rappers but like post malone and like Dude, he's bringing it back. It's going like, to be all the rage. Dude, Rocky, I, I, I think, is tatted up all up his stuff. Dude, I was just on vacation staying in a hostel, and this dude... Congratulations. Was... <laughs> well, no, but no, this guy... Oh, you went post Malone in a hostel on vacation? Well, I mean... No, you just went on a vacation, period. Right. I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry, Dan. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, but he had, um, he had tattoos all over his face. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I did. I saw a few That's other. They're, uh, mo they're mostly European. Uh, the people on this island. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was weird. Just because like he was like a really nice dude, like really respectful. But like when you see someone, you think they're a train hopper. 
Because that's the only other time I've seen like big face tattoos. But, Dude, um, no, like, seriously. And like stick and poke face tats. Yeah. I, uh, I see so many of those transient gutter punks around Eugene who just like fucking like hang out downtown the, with their dogs like, and guitars and have face tattoos and that. like. Yeah. It's fun. I want to get some. <laughs> some transients? Well, I want to get some transients. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pay them that much. You just have to buy, pay for their iPhone bill. Yeah. <laughs> Give them a port to charge their iPads. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what about the rest of you guys? Do you have other thoughts you haven't touched on? As the audience, I'm interested to hear you recap the book. Like um, you said, I think it's I pretty mean... hip. Like I think he was a pretty he's a pretty hip dude. Um, yeah. I'd like to. I kind of would like his writing. It's, it seemed kind of disorienting. I would like to read more of him at some point. Yeah. He has a book called Dalgren. That's like a thousand pages. That's like his big one. And it's yeah. supposedly like no one knows what the fuck is going on. Um, I think William Gibson, who wrote Neuromancer, said that... Yeah, he's tight. Yeah, he said that it's a riddle that's never, never supposed to be solved. Nick, uh, Neuromancer is the like, first time that the term like cyberpunk was invented. Yeah. And like words like the internet and the web were ever used. It's a really neat sci-fi book if everybody gets a chance to read it. If anybody does. Yeah. Um it makes me I have that I mean I have the edition with Empire Star in it and it's like ninety pages and I kind of am interested to breeze through it and see yeah, what it's I like. Yeah, I wonder if it's taken I wonder if it takes place in the same world. The same. I'm really curious. Well I kinda leafed through it and I saw the name I saw the name Mules in it. I just leave oh, through it real old quick. Oh, Mulesy's back. <laughs> what were, what were you saying, Coop? You said you. I I bought I bought Nova. Oh uh, yeah. Little short books, and I I think I read about uh twenty or thirty pages or so of that, and uh same vein as Babel seventeen, um intergalactic, uh space opera esque, you know opera mini espionage. Uh, yeah, interesting uh, characters with things that are very futuristic, um, but it's too similar in writing to Babel 17, and I must say, again, I, do, I don't have anything to fucking back my shit up on. I'm not, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not going to be, I am not a, a literary figure criticizing another person. Like, this man has written uh, a lot of celebrated books. But I found a lot of the time his writing to be disorienting, and I don't feel like it was intentional. Sure. Um, it wasn't sharp. It just yeah. wasn't as sharp. Uh, I found myself having to reread sentences, yes. and that really only happens now because of the way that the sentence is written, and it's because I could not grasp what was being mm. said. Yes, I had a very, very similar experience when I read this book. That's why I read it and twice. I, I, it's one of the reasons I read it yeah, twice. I, I, I I'd be curious to see. I'd be I I wish I had read it twice. I I think I would have a different opinion on it. Uh, Cause it was again, it was fun. It's a good story. It's exciting. It's like an adventure story with some philosophy, some linguistic relativity, um, a lot of I don't know, a lot of neat ideas wrapped into a swashbuckling adventure, which I'm never gonna like balk from. That's yeah. like my bread and butter. I've been reading that shit since I was a little kid. <laughs> um. But it, it wasn't my favorite of the books we've done. No. That's not like a big list, and that's not a low list. I still really enjoyed reading this. Mm -hmm. I will totally. Say that. If yeah. that's like, 
it confusing took, enough. Like we were saying, it took us all like you know, all of us that did read it. It, it took us pretty briefly to get to get through only a few days times. You know, right. it wasn't that hard to set a, a, a part, set aside a couple days to just read and you know not do anything else. But anyways, exactly. not I digress. I mean, it was kind of hard. <laughs> but personally, I I felt myself like. Uh, the same as Coop was saying, it was kind of disoriented by a lot of the action and like that combined with the big conceptual ideas. It just didn't make for, it kind of made a, a tedious read for how short it was. Not like I could read through it fast, but like just like getting to the whole like reveal and not in it being kind of anticlimactic. That, that's the thing. It's like with Dune, Dune starts off and like, like you said, Coop, the first hundred pages are so disorienting. Because he bas- it's basically kind of like this. There's all these terms thrown around and all these, yeah, different, like, groups of people. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? What's going on? He doesn't. Right. But but over time, because the book's so damn big, you do get kind of – it's almost like a giant painting with a lot of different stuff. Like, you eventually do mm-hmm. get to kind of make sense of all these terms that he's throwing around. And I feel like this is just too short. Like, right. I, mm-hmm. like, that's almost, I don't want to say this right. is my final thought, but one thing I wanted to say as a final thought was that after reading this the second time, it was still disorienting and I wanted more. I wanted to like, I want, I wish there were more of this world. I want to understand yeah. more about why things are the way they are. He does a little bit talk about the background just a little bit, but, um, right. yeah, I feel like if it was part of something bigger where you got more of a full story, it would work. That's what I was most frustrated better. about too, Dan. Well, Dan, that's just something that struck me in general is that, like, you having read it twice are still disoriented. Because mm-hmm. there were times where, like, as an initial reader even, you know, who's, like, a lazy fucking reader, I was like, oh, wait, what's going on here? And when they started talking about what was happening with the ship, for example, in yes. some of the earlier scenes, when they were using really technical stuff, and it's, I was wondering if, like, you had a bigger context you would be able to figure out what was going on dude i'll tell you there was still just some stuff that was kind of out if i'm not mistaken no no that's 100 percent correct like there's a there's a really technical section when she she figures out the circle problem this the first sabotage um the second time i read it i basically skipped it i was like i don't want to spend the mental energy thinking about this i I really don't um, totally. But yeah, I yeah. After reading a second time, I really, especially you're right about the ship. Anything about the ship, it seemed like I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. Um, <laughs> just like the descriptions and everything, they were just so muddled. Like I wasn't sure exactly what I was supposed to be picturing. Okay, great. Yeah. That's Metal's very a good, good trick. I had no, yeah, I had yeah. no idea what to think of, like what right. how to picture these things. Yeah. Which I guess we can say, if this is a book. That's entirely written around an idea in which language creates the thoughts we're capable of having. Totally. He succeeded if he wanted to make us oftentimes muddled and unable to form complete (laughs) thoughts or images about what he was putting forth. Yeah. Right? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But I I 100% agree with you guys. There was... There was quite a few times, and especially with the ship and whatnot, like we've already pointed out, I just truly could not. And I, I mean, I read that way. I, I do like have visuals. I do picture what's happening, mm-hmm. um, in a way that I don't even know if I can even begin to understand. You, you know, we, we, those who read, 
get you know, you you picture or try to picture what's happening. Right. And a lot of times in this book, um, I couldn't. I just right. like truly could not. I, I could with the characters. Put. The characters were interesting. Oh yeah, like yeah. when they were having besides, like direct again, dialogue like and stuff. There's a there's a question about if that is a intentional. And I think that's a real issue, you know, like if he's trying to push stuff to the point where we have fucking ghosts that we're working with and like they're smelling stuff in order to figure out where the fuck to drive the ship. Like this is already so far outside of the framework of my perception (laughs) that like um, the mechanics of that stuff, I didn't really worry about it that much. I was still just like, oh shit, like I guess the ghost is just smelling shit. (laughs) Steering the ship with the captain who wrestles really good. You know, like, okay, like this kind of works. So I don't know, like, on a real, like, basic level, part of me was like, okay, this is unclear, but okay, I'm also down with just, like, these ghosts having a fucking threesome <laughs> while they drive a ship. You know, like, <laughs> cool. What I yep. am while they drive it. I I, I am going to give him... I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that ev- I think everything was deliberate in this. I, I really do. I mean, he's yeah. a well-read yeah. dude. He writes a so ton. that might tip the scales a little bit, right? Like, yeah. you know, maybe he's just trying to do some out shit. Like, yeah. I'm not actually. I wish I did more digging on this because I probably would fucking like the, a lot of the Afro stuff. Yeah, but something yeah. that was really hip, I think maybe around this time was like Afrofuturism, and I, yeah. I just know about this because there's a uh, This American Life about it. I think. Um, it's a powerful idea that's like kind of taking resurgence right now. Yeah, yeah. Comic books and well, stuff like that. Right, with uh, what's his name? Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was dope. And that was like having to do with New Africa shit and like. Um, Wakanda Forever. Wakanda, Wakanda yeah. Forever. But this has some of that, right? Like. Yeah. Um, well, again, like, I my, the redeeming thing for me is the main character. Mm hmm. Rydra Wong yeah. really is what kept me glued to the story. I do think that he put his bet, like Delaney put his best into this character. I, I, you know, she's intentionally supposed to be a little shrouded in mystery, supposed to be a little reserved, a little antisocial, but still I was with her. I was fucking kicking ass like right beside her. She was a great intelligent character. Um... Right. Who figured the mystery out and like, like I don't know. It was Yeah, exactly. Like a boss. Oh shit. Hold on guys. <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on. Give me a second here. Wait, I think we have another viewer. Oh dude, I can I give my final thoughts? My Mike phone's Pence? on <laughs> oh, my, Mike Pence. my phone is on Hi, Mike. my phone is on two percent. Uh can I can give my final th- thoughts just in case? Plug in. No, I can't. I got the iPhone 8, and I'm using... I have to plug in my headphones. Okay, Dan, we'll get your final thoughts in. We got to wrap up anyway. I I also just want to give a shout-out to um, JC, who is watching also. Hi, JC. Thanks, JC. Um, Thanks for your support. Visit our Patreon. Visit our Patreon, waste-division.org. So, my my (laughs) final thoughts... um, I have pretty nuanced thoughts about this one, I guess. Like, like, it's not my favorite that we've done. But I also I'm not ashamed that I recommended it. Like I don't think it was a bad idea. Yeah. No. Um, no. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. It would have been. 
Yeah, I wish I would have been more in the Sapir Wharf stuff in there, and I wish it was longer, because at the end of reading it two times, I'll say again, I just wish I knew more about this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the characters are sweet. I, I thought the characters, and Rydra, like you said, Coop, I think this is really, she's a real special character. You don't really get characters like this in a lot of other sci-fi novels, at least that I've read. And it's nice totally. getting a, um, it, it, it's a, in a world of, in a world or in a time where it's mostly like very aggressive, strong male um, protagonists, it's mm-hmm. nice to get a Rydra Wong, like a very sensitive woman. I guess. Totally. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Um, All right, man. That's it. Also, wait. Yes? Oh, you got it, Dan. No, no, Just, no. I'm finished. I mean, as long as you're still with us and you're not dead. Um, R.I.P. I think it's interesting that he projected into the future that a poet would be so important. Yes. Like, yes. Especially now with kind of the death of the printed word, or at least on paper, right? Um a lot of people think that like liter- literary oh shit, shit. Is, like guys hold on i can i can hold on never mind keep going okay. keep going hacking yeah. the mainframe i i just thought that was cool and it's kind of weird cuz like today i just think that anybody who works in words that is large is a rapper right so in that sense we have uh, poets now who are have large followings that are international and um, but it's not like a poet, like somebody who puts out a fucking poetry collection is an international star, really. Right. I know, that that is that is a difficult thing to conceptualize. I mean, mm-hmm. the idea that in every tavern to every fucking, like, right. fancy-ass bar on a huge skyscraper, everybody's talking about the same poet and about their yeah. poetry and how it affected them, that is so far from my and from also, like, grasp across like eight alien races she's like popular. i mean yes i mean that that alone is like unfathomable but like nobody's talking about that honey and milk poetry book that came out and i see in barnes and noble all the time what book like i don't go <laughs> i just saw honey and milk i don't know i see that all the time in barnes and noble well that's my point i don't even i don't even know what that is so <laughs> I just spend a lot of time at Barnes & Noble by myself. <laughs> oh, Coop, it's okay. You can text us every once in a while. That's I can get. I know I should. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Editor, edit that I, out. I need friends. What happened to Daniel? R.I.P. Shout out, I need friends. Shout out. Shout out, I need Yo, friends. Cooper, okay. what's your email? Cooper at gmail. Send them exactly. a love note, something nice. <laughs> or you can leave us a review on iTunes or Podbean or your preferred podcast platform. So yeah, leave us a five-star review and then fucking the, shit on us. So the, basically the consensus... Give us, as long as we just have reviews, Sorry. it's fine. I think it's... Yeah. Give us a five-star and just let us know how shitty we all are. Give us a noise. Waste books. What's up? Hashtag what up? We don't read books. Well, Phil doesn't, that's, actually, at least. that's the biggest secret of this podcast. <laughs> We've actually never any of none of us have ever read a single book ever. Gotcha. Is Dan gone? Dan? Are you it's just gone? a little. It's just his little like blank avatar now. That is oh. Dan now. I oh, I, don't, I I feel like I've given my final thoughts without. Oh, he might be back. Yeah, I'll give a, my final thoughts. Why don't is, you give us a little bit? We'll see if Dan can come and say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts is that I thought I liked the. Uh, conceptual ideas about language and like the 
the formation of language and like the physical mm. aspects of language oh, by Dan. And uh, <laughs> I just think like we've talked the clunkiness and the action and the disorienting mm. for me just didn't just didn't do it for me. And I, I think after reading such a big expansive novel like Dune that I felt a little underwhelmed and not that the mm. writing was bad or anything. I just felt underwhelmed with the story itself. And yeah. But I, I enjoyed that uh, I got to, like, read a different type of sci-fi than the one that yeah. we had just done, a little more technical in the writing aspect. And, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was an enjoyable read. But, you know, I probably wouldn't read it again, honestly. Mm-hmm. Phil, you've given your final thoughts. Yeah, man. I think we're – uh, I love the book I didn't read. <laughs> no, it was fun to hear you guys talk about it. And like I said, um, I think a lot of the work in this book was just the philosophical ideas and kind of totally um, concepts. And that was something that he kind of laid out in the first, I don't know. I mean, you guys could speak to this much better than I could, but like first 100 pages, right? Like yeah. Yeah. once you kind of got the hang of the games, it could be like, oh, that's like kind of a cool idea. And then that was enough for me to be like, Oh, I could see that sci-fi and I don't know, maybe that combined with the obscurity of the plot and like what exactly was happening and Hello. Um Oh Dan, I made it back. Oh Dan, for the ending. Um, uh, yeah. My my audio's done, but that's fine. Dude, we're still we're we're live. Fuck it. <laughs> well we're just wrapping live. up anyway. I was just giving my yeah. final thoughts. I liked it philosophically. I'm a sucker for um language philosophy, so uh, just having like the seeds of that in the first parts of the the book were cool for me to read and think about. Um, Wait, Dan, you mean your audio is done? Like you're not recording right now? Your headphones. Well, that's all right. That's all right. Let's just say goodbye. All right. Well, it was good, guys. Good to see you. Wait. Let's just let's just end the podcast recording. Everybody, end it. All right. Bye. So end it. Um, actually, yeah, don't jump off the thing. We're gonna talk for a second. Alright, bye. She's better, but her head's still a little bit undone. Can't impress me by the places that you've been. But you can impress me by the things you say. <laughs> yeah, we're oh just hanging God. out on Christmas, you guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm with my friend Keller Paulson. Say hi, Keller. Howdy doody, cutie. Wow. Um, Keller actually, incidentally, is on the album that you're uh, listening to right now underneath our voices. Grant Allen Jones, or Grant Jones, I think he's just... Okay, well, fuck him. Um <laughs> Keller plays drums in Grant's band and is on the album. I played uh, bass and sang. And you can pick that up. Where, Keller? Apple Music and Spotify. Also at uh, CD Baby and FYE. Wow, that's extensive. Um, Also, don't forget to check out our website, wastedivision.org. There's a dash in there, waste-division.org. No one cares. All right. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Also, check out our Patreon at patreon.com. Bye, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Seems like suicide to talk to you. Friends say just wait it out.
Forget the never minds and the crystal clear. Let the records play. You're a spinning fury, baby. Easy laughter's cheap currency. A pretty face is easy company. But I was always taught the love you give is free, and you can buy it, you can sell it, and you can steal it all from me. Is it right? Is it wrong? Maybe I should be calling you just to say. I'm feeling good. You can laugh, you can cry, you can tell me your lies, 'cause everyone does, and it's understood. 